the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, we're ready to get a uh, Tuesday show going here. Power panels here in Paul Calvert and Jan Morgan. They are sitting at the table. Nick Horton has come to join us today because I wanted to talk real quickly about uh, uh, the whole thing of uh, Medicaid expansion because there's kind of a fly in the ointment with this. And I just want you to know if somebody votes, and I, I use this term in a way that they're not really voting for Medicaid expansion. They're voting to keep Arkansas Works alive. It's going to get really confusing. Right. There's going to be people going to write nasty grams about the Republican Party here in Arkansas. And I'm just telling you, they're going to do the right thing on this. It doesn't sound like the right thing, but I believe it's the right thing. Because unless they vote for Medicaid expansion with the work requirement, the work requirement will go away. The courts will figure we don't think there's anything important about it, and then the courts are going to drop it. The Trump administration don't want us to do that because they want to take this to the Supreme Court. It's another nail in the coffin, so to speak. Kentucky's going to do the same thing. And uh, from what I understand, and Nick, maybe you know more about this, but I'm hearing that Utah now has joined the fray. Is that right? Yeah, Utah actually got approval on Friday. So the ruling against the Arkansas work requirement came out on Wednesday. And on Friday, CMS, I think the Trump administration sent a really strong signal that we're going to continue to approve these because we believe this is good policy. If you're a non-disabled working-age adult and you're on Medicaid, it's not too much to ask to say, we're going to have some work requirement. We're going to have work training, volunteering, community engagement. There's going to be some requirement there for those folks, not if you're if you're an individual with disabilities or if you're a child or you're elderly. This does not apply to you. But if you're non-disabled working age and you want to be on Medicaid, there should be some requirement for that. And I think the Trump administration is not backing down from that. And I don't think the state of Arkansas should either. Well, right. maybe just a tweet from the president would probably fix it for all the Republicans that are scared to vote for it. Maybe if the president tweeted, we want you to do this because we're in a battle right now uh, in the courts over this. So we don't, you know. Well, let me just jump in and say, th- and there's another thing that muddies the water. And, and that happens to be, uh, you know, HB 1929. Is that what it is? Joshua uh, Miller's bill that he wants, uh, you know, charge per treatment or whatever and get rid of the the Arkansas Works. This really has now gotten into a really convoluted mess. Well, because Josh Miller has a very good conservative voting record. And so when Josh, you know, puts something out there, then then he believes this is the alternative to the whole Medicaid expansion thing. And as you know, a lot of Republicans took a lot of heat for voting for it to begin with. Yep. And then this last 2013. session. When they, yes. And when they, the many Republicans won on the promise when they ran that they would not support Medicaid expansion. And then they turned around and voted for it and then, you know, had to accept the backlash. Over yeah, that, it, so. It's a good bill. There's been studies that have come out that have shown that the private option model that we're using is about twice as expensive per person 
So you're talking about with HB 1929, a bill that could effectively cut the costs in half. Well, they, here's the key. I, we had Josh on the day that he dropped the bill. I had talked to him. He said, come see me. I'm getting ready to drop a bill. You'll want to hear about it. We had him on to talk about it. Here's why he's doing it. He wants to cut the insurance agent, co- companies out from making a god-awful amount of money, $40 million. And that shouldn't happen. Everybody should have skin in the game and not some entity out there that has, well, I'm in on this, but only if I make money on it. They have skin in the game, but it's our skin. You know, they're, they're skinning us. And I, I think we have to remember why we have a Medicaid program. It's not to prop up insurance companies. That's correct. It's not to prop up... To take care of people who can't take care of themselves. That's right. It's not to prop up uh, you know, hospitals, as important as our hospitals are. That's not why we have a Medicaid program. Medicaid program is there for folks that truly have nowhere else to turn. Um, and, and what's happening in our state and in other states that have accepted the Obamacare expansion, that's increasingly less the case. We, we've added over 300,000 non-disabled working-age adults to Medicaid in the state of Arkansas. And 330,000 at the peak. Can and, I ask you, though? What? But they're getting treated first because yes. the insurance companies want to make the money. But what first. are we doing? What are we doing to stop people from out of state from taking advantage and using our Medicaid expansion program to take care of their illnesses? Because I'm hearing from doctors that they are seeing that like one doctor told me the other day, he said I had a woman from New Jersey coming here and she's she used Arkansas Works to get medical treatment. And he said, and I'm talking to other doctors that are seeing the same thing. And why, why don't we stop that? There is a lot of fraud in the Medicaid system. Uh, DHS, frankly, has done a lot of hard work over the last few years to try to scrub the rolls and make sure that folks that are receiving benefits actually live in Arkansas and actually qualify for benefits. Um, there was an audit that came out a few years ago when the Stephen Group came in and did a, a audit for the state. They found folks in every single state in the country mm-hmm. that were enrolled in Arkansas Medicaid. Wow. Right. And the problem is, from an administrative standpoint, if you're not actively looking at those Medicaid roles to find those folks, you're not going to find them. But are we paying people to actively look at those? I mean, what are we paying those sure. people to do? Sure, and I, and I think uh, I, I think there's an argument there in, in uh, for the work requirement, frankly. Because Isn't that the $25 million? Didn't we pay for a software program that was supposed to be, what, $25 million no, and it, it didn't lot, it work? It was a lot more than that. It, it, it didn't work, and so, and so we tossed that aside, and now we've got something else. Did we ever recover that $25 million? Did, did our AG go no. after that? No. I think it was, a, so I think just, it was north just, of $100 just, million. Okay, so we just threw that money away. See, this is the kind of wasteful spending that I'm talking about that the people of this state are looking at and saying, what, you know, if that were coming out of your pocket, by gosh, you'd be going after them and saying, it is hey, coming this, out of my this, pocket. this program yeah. didn't work, so I want you to do something about it, uh, recover this money so we can put it toward uh, good things for the people of our state. Thank you, John Staley. Wasn't he the one that was behind, in charge of it, went out and put it together? And then you the governor me. finally fired him, or he he, well, re- he resigned. That? Okay. He ended up resigning about seven months later or so. Hmm. And then we brought in the lady from where did she come from? New Jersey, Virginia, New Jersey. Oh, oh, John Seelig. That's who you're thinking of, the old oh, DHS yeah. director. That's yeah, that's what I'm. Yeah, yeah, John Seelig. Yeah, yeah I think it. his time had come. I so think we got rid of somebody. Well, he but, was inept. Yeah, but I still, yeah. you know, I I would like for our attorney general or someone to say, hey, we we. we over $100 million we spent on this program, and we didn't get it. It didn't work. So I would be going after that company and saying, we need this money back, right? 
because we had maybe, to buy another program. That or maybe the, the government officials who were so incompetent that they asked for something that wasn't going to work. I think that may have actually been the problem was that it wasn't so much the company that was delivering the software or, or mm-hmm. making the software. I think it may have been the government officials who just didn't know what to ask for, so they kept changing things. And then you had a, a company trying to produce software for you, and they don't even know what to produce because the government keeps giving them different um, guidelines for, for making the software. So I think it, I think it's just kind of maybe incompetence on the government's part. Oh, I'm so shocked. I'm yeah. so shocked that, you know, yeah. something right. the government's so, Nick, you tell us how, <laughs> how are, you're here watching this closely. How do you think this is all going to play out in the end? Do you think we keep Medicaid expansion and Arkansas works and appease the Trump administration by doing that? Or does 1929 actually have a, a fighting chance? Uh, so I haven't spoken to Representative Miller since this morning. He did run the bill this morning, and he fell a couple of votes short. Um, they roll called it, and he only got nine votes. So I'm not sure if there's going to be time to bring that back or if that's kind of the end of the line for, uh, for ASB 1929. Um, I do think there's going to be you know, a renewed effort to try to get the work requirement put back in place, put it into state law. So that it's you know there is an added legal protection for the state to say, you know this is something that we are going to move forward with. Um, the appeal is what the appeal is, and I, I certainly you know I, I support the governor's effort to say we're not going to back down from this. But I think the legislature has a voice in that as well of saying we're going to put this into state law because we can't afford this program, and without a work requirement in place, we really can't. We're, we're looking at three hundred plus thousand enrollees again, uh, probably by the end of the year, if I had to, to project that. So, um, I, I think the fight is far from over. Whether it's with the appeal or whether it's with a new waiver request, um, you know, I think we need to keep fighting and keep pushing for that because we just frankly can't afford it. Literally, can't afford it. So, so if I understand it correctly, Josh Miller's bill, just kind of let the listeners know what, what that did, it was going to basically cut the insurance companies out, stop the, the work, the, the Medicaid expansion program is, is literally a sort of a, a, a giving insurance to people when insurance companies then turn around and provide coverage, which is kind of an expensive way right. of doing it because it's, it would right. be cheaper to cut the insurance companies out and just pay for the coverage. Let me correct one thing you said. Okay. It is not kind of. <laughs> it is absolutely a much more expensive it way is. of handling It's about this. twice as expensive. And so what his bill would do is say, we're not going to funnel this money through insurance companies. The way it works right now is enrollees in the Arkansas Works program, they have private insurance plans purchased for them through the Obamacare exchange. So mm-hmm. they're getting Obamacare exchange plans courtesy of the taxpayers um, which are about twice as expensive right, per which, which just doesn't make sense for a large entity to purchase insurance program, individual insurance plans, because you know, that's dumb. When, you, when you're large enough, you don't even need insurance at all because you're big enough to self-insure. I think the state of Arkansas, with 300,000, what, what, in what world is, is 300,000 people not enough to self-insure without buying individual insurance plans. It's, it's a lot of money, and I remember, Dave, you and I were there back in 2013 when they first came up with this idea. Yes, we were. Uh, it was going to save us money, and it was going to... I just gonna... posted a picture of you and me 
and Dan Greenberg discussing this issue today on Facebook. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Well, that's a blast from the past. Yeah. Um, but I remember at the time, you know, it was going to create competition. It was going to bring in all these new insurers. It was going to, it was free market alternative. And I think some of us knew at the time that that wasn't exactly how it was going to play out. And five years uh, later, you know, that's exactly what we're seeing. I think it's also uh, instructive, frankly, that New Hampshire and Iowa and several other states that have looked at doing this model that we did in Arkansas got out, got rid of it. Um, And so I think that lends itself towards, you know, Arkansas should do the same thing. We have a chance to save uh, a ton of money uh, for the taxpayers. And again, that's not just, you know, I'm all about saving money for taxpayers, but that's also saving money that can go to folks that truly need it. So what is the argument from the side to hold on to this failed policy instead of going Josh Miller's way? It, It doesn't make sense to me. It's a good question. I wasn't able to be there for the whole hearing this morning. Uh, I'm pretty confident that uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield is not a fan um, because they imagine are the ones that, make, making a fair amount of money They're off making of the way. the most money off right, of Right, that, that it currently works. Um, so I, I can imagine that's probably a factor. Um, you know, I, I don't know. A lot of those, you know, David Sanders and kind of the old folks that They're were old guard that were here, they're kind of gone. Um so it is an interesting question of why wouldn't we do it? Why wouldn't we, if we could cut the costs in half, why not? Um, it seems pretty common sense to me. It and then your state me. is in charge of something instead of the feds, and you don't have to worry about what the federal government does and says. Yeah, uh, I, I think, um, again, I, I always go back to this because I know folks personally, and I'm sure each of you know folks that have disabilities that are elderly that have truly depended on the Medicaid program. Uh, folks even in my family that wouldn't have been able to make it, frankly, without the safety net. And that's what's so offensive to me about Obamacare and the Obamacare expansion and um, just all these non-disabled adults that could and should be working, um, but they're not. And they're taking dollars that could go to folks that truly need help. And I think that's wrong. I think it's bad policy. I think it's morally wrong. Um, It's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about the work requirement, because it is going to free up space for folks that truly need help and free up those dollars. So, um, you know, I think I'm hopeful, you know, I I travel to other states and work on this issue in a dozen or so other states, and literally everyone else in the country is watching to see what Arkansas is going to do. After that ruling came out last week, everyone wants to know what's going to happen Well, we've been on the cusp of of this. We have. I mean, we're the first ones to do it. You've written good things about it. I've spoken good things about it. People should be working. I don't think they're tight enough, the requirements, but still, it was a step in the right direction. It was progress. Absolutely. So anyway, I don't, I don't, I don't know why they just because they could take nineteen twenty nine, could they not, and put a work requirement in it as well? Sure. So absolutely, that's what I would suggest to Josh: go in, put an amendment, and bring it back. There and is then a, see everybody. See yeah, what everybody there, does. There is another bill. Um, blanking on the bill number, but I have it here. Uh, HB nineteen twenty three by Representative McCollum. That would uh, codify and uh, reinstitute the Medicaid work requirement. Say, there you go. May or may not be running in public health this afternoon. So I think the fight is far from over. Um, Again, whether it's through the appeals process with the court and on the old waiver, or if it's something like this where we're saying we're just going to start fresh and submit a new waiver with a stronger work requirement, which is what's in this bill. Um, Either way, I think we're going to be we're going to be pushing forward. 
Can I keep you for about another 10 minutes? Anything for you, Dave. All right. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more. It's the Dave Ellswick Show, third floor, house side, talking about Medicaid expansion. And it's gotten really all mixed up and and stirred up since the uh, the judge got involved in this in Washington, D.C. Back with more. All right. Back with Nick Horton is sitting here. And if there's one person I would always bring on my show to talk about Medicaid expansion, it was Nick this is he's been following it since it was first given its immoral birth. All right, <laughs> much longer than I've wanted to be. I, I bet it. you that's true. But let me let me turn. Jan had a good question during the break. Go yeah, ahead. Well, and ask I was you. wondering. Of course, those people who know me know I'm against socialized medicine. Period. Anything that less government is better government. So, what happened to the concept of just individual health clinics? You know, at one time, every county in every state had county health clinics and the government financially supported those health clinics and then there were some statewide you know state funded hospitals and if you had problems you go if you cannot afford health care and your private doctor you go to one of those clinics and if you could afford to pay something you pay a minimum ten dollars or if you couldn't afford to pay anything they aren't going to deny you care what happened to that concept what's wrong with that that's a good question. I, I think we have not progressive enough. Yeah, I, I mean, I think over time we've there's been a you know obviously a movement of healthcare is a right and we need to take care of everyone and um, you know unfortunately you've seen in some states like Arkansas we expanded Medicaid and we said you know we want to just open up the door to the program that if you're uh, non-disabled working age and you just keep your income down below a certain point you can qualify for. For uh, free healthcare, and so, what incentive do you know private clinics or private hospitals have to provide those types of services when the state and taxpayers are saying, "Well, we're just going to pay for everyone to get healthcare," um, you know, and, and it's not right, and that's not the reason we have a Medicaid program. That's not why Medicaid was uh, created, and uh, so, I, yeah, I think the more we can do to help people find good-paying jobs that have healthcare, um, and and free up Medicaid dollars for the truly needy, you know, the better off we'll be. Well, the problem is, is when you, when it's more financially lucrative for you to sit at home and you get a free phone and you get a free ride and you get free groceries and you get an income that is actually more than you can make if you were out working, it makes it difficult to get people to say, I want jobs. Because President Trump, and in, in bless his heart, has done so much for our economy and the creation of jobs across America. And yet there are many people that can't find employees who can pass a drug test. You know, they can't get people that want to work because they're like, well, I, I can do better sitting at home. There so. are more open jobs than there are people looking for work. Yeah. That is a fact. Um, and it's a big problem for businesses, frankly. Okay, so you had a question. So R.D. Hopper actually texted me. He's yeah, got, he's he somewhere had, in the air right he, now heading to he, D.C. He had a question. I guess he's listening to the show. So he asked, is there any hope of Medicaid expansions not getting funded? Is there any chance? Do we have anywhere near that much intestinal fortitude here in Arkansas? We just need 25 members. I was give, told give. that it passed this afternoon with 75 votes, exactly the oh, number wow. needed, in the House. And they've already passed it on the Senate side. Hmm. So I, I think that the funding fight is probably over. over. Um, but that, I think, increases the importance of Josh Miller's bill, the Medicaid work requirement, and making sure that we're going to do something to control costs because otherwise it's going to continue to spiral. So that, that work requirement bill that you just shared with us, that becomes very important That's now. That's right. 
I think absolutely. Can I share something? I want to share one of our listeners one right now. Okay, one of our listeners, Janet Crow, uh, who's listening on the radio right now. She said lots of us. Hi, were Janet. At, she said lots of us were at the Capitol trying to talk with conservatives about Medicaid expansion. Blue Cross won. We lost, proving to me that money talks to politicians. I rarely believe anything any politician says anymore. And I can tell you that there are a lot of folks in Arkansas who would agree with Janet right now. I don't disagree. I don't either. I remember sitting across from David Sanders and others back in 2013, and I just had one question that they never could answer, and that was, what are you guys going to do when you try to take this away from people? Mm. Well, uh, yeah, well, we'll just end it. That's what they would say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, if you don't, what if you don't get a work? Because they were even saying back then, well, we're going to get a work requirement. Well, what if you don't? Well, we'll just end it. Yeah, right. Well, what if you sign up? I mean, David, you probably remember 215,000 people were the most that were ever supposed to sign up for this. Ever. Agreed. We'll be back. We'll talk more. All right, back with you at the state capitol, third floor, house side. We just heard that uh, uh, Medicaid expansion passed again. All right, in the house, 75 votes. That uh, gets it through, goes to the governor to be signed. Uh, the work requirement is not there now because the judge in D.C. Uh, ruled against it. So that means that we got to go back and come up with an amendment to say that the work requirement is still there whenever we can get the Supreme Court to strike the court's ruling down. It's, it's really convoluted about what's going on right now. Well, the now. court system is so messed up. You know, we, the government is so messed yeah, up. The government is so messed up. But Anytime the, but, you let the government get involved in something, it's going to be a mess. Right. So this is, this is one of those things government never should have been involved in exactly. at all. I agree. And, and now we're coming up, we're trying to figure out how to do this bad government program. At the cost of hundreds of millions of dollars by Arkansas taxpayers. Hundreds of millions of Well, dollars. nationally, we're probably talking of hundreds of billions, actually. Yes. But, but still, we're st- now we're just arguing over how to do it in the least bad way. I think it's kind of the way we're talking. And, well, and, back in 2013, when it all got started, because I was here when it went down. Yeah. Uh, as, uh, Under Governor Mike Beebe. Yes. yes. As we're sitting here talking about it. Nick and I talked about this incessantly, and it was a, a constant drumbeat about it. The same mm-hmm. thing with uh, Dan Greenberg and others who right. were it was questioning. A, and uh, it was a big, you know, we just kept asking questions, and they didn't want to answer it. They just... They kept saying, we can do Obamacare conservatively. I would always ask, who makes the final decision, us or Obama? There's no, well, there's Obama no makes thing. it. Well, then it's not going to happen. Well, and, there's and, no such thing as conservative and socialism. The two do not work well, together. They cannot coexist. The, the irony of this, though, is is it actually more conservative when you're making it bigger? Well, they, no. that's not what I'm saying. They, no, no, they weren't no, even that, thinking that, of then. That's what I'm saying. Is They were making it bigger when they expanded Medicaid with this. They were making it bigger. They didn't think so. Uh, well, I'm right. just going to say they didn't think so. Maybe We so. could see so. They didn't think so. But how did they How did they not think they were making it bigger? I mean, how was that? They thought they were able to control the cost through the, the way that they were going to run it. The problem was, and the fact that they would not face up to, is what they wanted to do would never be accepted by the Obama administration. As long as they they were the ones that made the final call. It's not called Obamacare for nothing. (laughs) 
His name is attached to it. I mean, it's the Affordable Care Act, but the bottom line, it quickly became Obamacare, and even Obama has accepted that now. He was making the last call. His administration made the final call. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a mess. And now we have the courts making calls. And, you know, this is a problem. We've got government involved in things they never should have been involved in in the first place. Then the courts decide to take over. And then the lobbyists get involved and control your legislators because uh, insurance companies stand to benefit significantly by mm-hmm. Obamacare. And so, right. you know, it, politicians are going to are gonna vote. Right. So we've got giant corporations. Controlling politicians. Lo- lobbying corporations mm-hmm. or lobbying politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, At the end, for- it came down to money. Isn't that what it what always it, comes down what to it, what, in, in, in what government? What have we seen here in the last couple of years in the state of Arkansas? How many politicians, how many lobbyists, how many, uh, you know, medical facilities are on the take? How much money is being fed into these politicians for their votes? I don't know. I'm not saying all of them, <laughs> but there's, we already know there's some of them that were taking money. Mm-hmm. And then, the, and, the, and the Republican Party has taken a hit as a result of that, as a result of Republican legislators supporting it. I, I, I know for a fact, uh, you know, friends of mine, conservatives like Janet Crow, the lady that we just, yep. I just quoted, people like that that are Tea Party patriots that would support the Republican Party if the Republican Party would stand strong against growing government. And, of course, Obamacare grows government. And we had a chance when Republicans took control of this Capitol uh, and, and the governor's office and the state legislative uh, branches, both branches, we had the chance to do the right thing a long time ago and the intestinal fortitude was not there but the money was and so republicans, republicans voted the wrong way and so well, now we've got this problem and it's, and it's lots and lots of free money i think that's part of the deal is that so it the, state of, the state the, of arkansas the can spend a teeny tiny bit of money and the federal government will just just bring you in bucket. that was the beginning thing and that was what was enticing you know okay we're going to make get all this money from the feds but but we all knew from the beginning that yes you're going to you're going to get this money from the feds but is each year passes, the federal part is going to become less and less, and the state's part is going to become right. more and more. And then but eventually, it stimulates we not be able to the economy, it. Dan. You got to understand this. All this money being injected—I know it costs us a little bit of money, but it's 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 an, it's, a, it's stimulating the economy. You should just be thankful that our benevolent state government is willing to steal from you a little bit so that they can get some more free money. At the risk of somebody not knowing how you really are, the fact that you're saying that (laughs) is scary because somebody who just might be tuning in thinks, this guy really believes that. And and obviously I'm being facetious. Understand. I want you to understand. Today it is April 2nd. It is April 2nd. Thank you. Yes. It's not okay. April Fool's is, Day is anymore. It, so, yeah. Okay, so it's passed, so we're going to continue so, so down is that this the road. De- was, the, was the ho- yesterday the Democrat holiday? Yeah, well. Or was that the Republican? No, they're just, a, they're just a fool's day, which is every day for the yeah. Democrats. Well, they have a spe- but isn't April 1st kind of a special day for them? I have no idea. Is that not their special holiday? I don't can, know. Can we designate that? Yeah. <laughs> or, or can we, we make... Or can we just make that for the socialist Republicans? I'm just saying, man, it's it's crazy. I don't know. So what else is going on in the Capitol? It's this is depressing because, to me. Can we well, talk about something good that's happening at this legislature? Well, I think Alan Clark actually got his bill out of committee this morning. Okay. Which uh, was about what? It was about, it was designed to stop the courts from, and I guess some of the administrators as well, from taking away a driver's license from someone who's um, breaking the law, but... Not in cases where it wasn't a driving violation. Okay. Like so not, how are we taking like people's driver's paying. license away from them other than driving violations? They have the right to do that if well, you're not So paying. apparently if you're not paying some of your fines or 
paying your child care, thing of that nature. Or, or maybe if you don't show up for court or something of that child nature. Child care, I'm not you sure. mean child support. I'm not sure exactly what child all care. Okay. I'm not sure what all it applied to. to. But, and so apparently they'll use um, driver's license revocation and also vehicle registration revocation, mm-hmm. where they revoke it, they take it away, as a means of punishing people for disobeying. Okay. And now I can kind of see this maybe if you were driving drunk mm-hmm. or if you were driving 130 miles an hour through a neighborhood, but that's not what it was about. It was about people that, that maybe didn't pay a court fine or something of that right. nature. And okay. so it's, it's unrelated to driving. Okay. So now, since you can't pay your fine, they're going to take away your driver's license so that you can't work, so that you still can't pay your fine. <laughs> okay. Right. But by the way, I wanted Janet Crow just sent me another text in response to your whole thing about Democrats and April Fools. She, getting back to Medicaid expansion in Arkansas, she said Republicans in Arkansas had every bit as much to do with it in this state as Democrats did. And so, she's exactly right. Once so, again, so maybe this we is a, a special day for socialists. Uh, for big government. For, and, for big and, government, and, and non- conservative you know, I, socialists. I'm really excited. I, I was so excited when I went to the 4th District Republican Committee meeting. I was excited to see uh, the Republican Party Chair Doyle Webb show up with a box full of copies of the Republican Party platform. And he was handing those suckers out. And I was like, yes. Was that toilet paper? Yes. Maybe people will actually start reading them. Yes. those. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I got as many as I could. And I carry them around with me, and, and I'm going to be handing those to legislators and say, hey, do, can you look at these and remember this is who you said you are, because that's not how you're legislating. And Yeah. So, so is, is this the handbook for the Republican Party? Or it is the, the Bible for the Republican it, Party it legislators. Bible. You sure it it's is. not the toilet paper that they is put in the bathrooms? No, 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 no. no, no. That's, not, that's not what they you use know, it's it very, for. It's huh? very simple. It just gives you a little – and I actually had a Republican argue with me about this uh, just last week. Uh, because he was saying that the Second Amendment d- isn't a right, it's a government issue privilege, that this is a Republican. So, and I said, uh, actually, you know, the second, the second, number two on the list of, of items that you're saying you agree with if you run as a Republican is the Second Amendment. And he said, well, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it can be regulated. And he used the word, the, the phrase, a well-regulated militia. That was his excuse for you can regulate and restrict it as much as you want because oh, so, you know, that's – so, so, basi- so basically he, he believes like Hillary he, does. He you, can, you can have said, a slingshot if you get a license. He also said that the, the issues in the Republican Party platform are subject to interpretation. I said, okay, oh, so smaller government, that's subject to interpretation. It, limited government, that, that was what, number one on the list? Limited government, that's subject to interpretation. I guess so, so your definition of limited government may not be my definition, so you can go Our you principles. Number one, the power of faith in God. There you go. Number two, sanctity of life. Mm-hmm. Number three, individual responsibility and initiative. Number four. Individual freedom and liberty secured by a limited government. Uh-huh. Number five, private property. Number six, lower taxes to produce, uh, produce ouch. economic growth. Ouch. 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 Number ouch. seven, strong national defense. Number eight, the personal right to own and bear arms. Number nine, the equal and just enforcement of the law. Number ten, separate and equal branches of the government. Mm, we've got some big issues with a lot of those. This, uh, now, you know, Lucy, they... i got questions for you. <sighs> Just saying. All right, we've got to get a break in. Let me remind you about my buddies over at Dwayne Smith Insurance Agency in Sherwood. Dwayne's been out on vacation. He's going to be back tomorrow. Uh, call over there, talk to one of his uh, staff members. Uh, set up a time. In fact, call them at 501-819-0373. 
set up a time you can bring your insurance policy by, let them set it down in front of you and them with the what all state insurance will do and protect you from Mr. Mayhem and uh, get you a better price. They're located at 3920 East Keel Avenue in Sherwood. The phone number to call again, 501-819-0373 and save yourself some money. Dave Ellswick Show, third floor of the Capitol, house side, back in a moment. All right, back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Glad to have you here. Uh, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. The, the bill that I'm surprised that passed that's going to be put on the ballot in 2020 uh, visa the, the House and the Senate is Alan Clark's yep, the one on, bill. on his uh, thing dealing with um, the term limits. Yeah, it kind of takes a different approach. So from what I understand right now, what it's, what it's slated to do if it passes is it would drop term limits down to 12 years. They're 16 right now. So drop it down to 12 years, and then you have to sit out for four years, and then you can come back and, and run for another 12 years. And so it's kind of a different approach to, to what we have right now. I have kind of mixed thoughts on it, I guess, but it's it's kind of a different idea because then if you – the fact is that there there are some pretty decent people out there that it, it would be good for us if they could actually be a, a, a longstanding voice um, to, to um, champion um, basically human rights is what we're talking about. We're talking about smaller government or, or better government. And which basically translates into human rights, and um, and so so I, I see where he's coming from on that, because there are some good people out here out there that, frankly, I don't want to vote them out of office mm-hmm. because I really like them. I think well, I think he's good on just about every issue except this. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not even saying that Alan Clark is one of those people. Although Alan Clark is pretty good. Alan Clark's got a I great think. voting record on conservative issues. I, I just said that he and I will have to agree to disagree on this. And he did take out one of the one aspect of that bill that I really had a problem with, and that was that the legislature right. gained yeah. ultimate control always. Right, he took right. that out. He did take that out, and so that was. But the fact that it was ever in there be, to begin with is not that. Not yeah, make, and so make me happy. And I understand where he's coming. And I from. also wanted him to give us a recall option. Or if not in that bill, then in another one. I would like right. for us to have as much. To me, that should be more of a driving thing right now mm-hmm. than than the other term limits thing. You know, changing that is just because I, I, right now in Arkansas, if we get a bad legislator, somebody who runs for office and says, I'm going to be all this and a bag of chips, and then they get elected and they're the opposite of what they said they were going to do, we need to be able to recall those bad no, legislators. I, more like- you, there's a couple that are elected right now that I'd like to see recalled from the seat yeah, and that they hold. Yeah, if you give people that option, that, if you that, give people that option, the fact that we don't give people that option is is something that we've stolen from the I, I agree. The I, I think that's a good option to have. Um, there are some options right now for taking taking legislators out of office. I don't know if there's any for the people to do it. The legislators themselves can vote to expel members. Oh, yeah. Like, when's that going to happen, Paul? I, I, Come yeah. on. Give me I, a you're break. right. You're right. And, I mean, we've, I, I, I can think of one or 
one in the Senate, I think, that would probably qualify. But it would it would hold legislators accountable for being who they said they right. were when they ran for right. office. And Look at Colorado. The people of Colorado, they, they recalled, what, two or three state representatives who ran for office and said they were all of mm-hmm. this. And then they turned around and started trying to restrict the gun rights of the people of the state. Yeah. And then the people got together, put and boots on the ground, cool. got their petitions yeah, that, and recalled them. That would be cool. I, I, I like the idea of having a recall system. Mm-hmm. And um, But kind of back to your point about where, where Alan Clark was coming from on the idea of restricting the use of the petition process. I understand where he's coming from. So the kind of the part of the idea of having a republic versus a direct democracy or direct majority rule democracy is that the republic is like having a throttle on democracy. It slows it down. It makes it, whereas direct democracy, which is what you have with the petition process, is um, is it's basically pure democracy, and so some people wish to 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 almost stop that. Some people, I think, would actually almost like to totally block petition drives mm-hmm. from from happening. And so I kind of have some mixed thoughts on that. H- however, I, I kind of fall more toward your direction. I think it is pretty important of for the people you to do, be able to. I'm usually right. <laughs> you know, I'm one of those founding fathers. Look at our. If you were to ask, if you were to, if you were able to to contact each of our founding fathers right now and say, "What do you think about this?" I can tell you that they would say, "We never envisioned people to run for office and and, and serve in government and never leave to make a lifetime I, career." I think out some of, of our it. founding fathers fathers I, would have been loading their guns. I, I think that you're exactly right because those guys envision regular folks, you know, from all walks of life going in. Serving, serving was supposed to be an honorable thing, a service kind of thing, not a I'm going to make a living and get rich kind of thing uh, and, and do this for the rest of my life. Because the longer you're in office, the more powerful you become and the more opportunities there are for corruption to occur. And that's, I think, why our founders just, you know, it, it, I think it's better if we, 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 we rotate. It's not like there aren't other people out there who would serve us well, but they may never get the chance because they can't compete against an incumbent it's, that's built quite a, a, a massive amount of money. And it's gotten to Do you know that Arkansas is one of only three states in America that requires uh, uh, that, that the, the, the parties can set the filing fees? You know that it cost me, I had to pay a $15,000 filing fee to run for, for governor. governor. To run for state representative or state senate, it's, for senate, it's like 7000 something. Oh, wow. That is, we are, we are what, one of the highest fees well, to and run that's, in and the nation. And that's kind of a problem. It restricts people well, who be, don't because who aren't the, in debt to special interests right, because in other, order to get that kind of money, you've right, got to be in debt to somebody. Right. So, so right now, in Arkansas, if you if you don't have political party status, mm-hmm. then you have to to get a bunch of signatures. If you do have political party status, then you automatically get on the ballot for free. Then the party can can basically um, weed out the people coming in. So one of the ways that parties weed out people coming in and using their party name. Mm-hmm. And getting in the primary charging is by filing charging filing fees, fees. right? And right. so, so I think previously, back when the Republican Party was a minority, and very few people would even sign up as a Republican, I, I suspect the fees were much lower. But yep. now that the Republican Party is kind of the the popular thing to be, now they're getting kind of expensive. Well, it's going to be interesting to see now what's going to happen with the Libertarian Party because you know they're they're. Garner got that bill right. through that would take a whole lot more signatures to be able to get you onto the ballot. Well, they're talking about then nearly 30,000 signatures yeah, it was now. Like, In what, a short period of time. Yeah, it's like, what, uh, 
a third of what it was in the last gubernatorial election or something like that. But bottom line, I've heard that they're ready to bring uh, a legal challenge challenge against this. And I think that they're going to win. They should. They should. I, I, I don't I don't think that that's good for our state. It's not good for the people. And, and even though I'm a Republican and I, I love, you know, what the Republican Party stands for, I think that we always need to be viewed as the good guys, not the guys that want to, to continue to make it more difficult for law-abiding uh, good American citizens to run for office. I know for a fact, I know some people. Uh, a lady in, in uh, uh, what county was that, just county next to mine, wanted to run for office. But she, when she decided, she couldn't raise the money quick enough, you know, as a, a, as a non-politician, right. Wow. But she would have made a, an amazing re- state representative. Mm-hmm. And uh, Because some, some of these state representative races are not expensive races. No, but you've got a, that filing and, fee. And, and what is, is it? Is it, it. it $4,000 for a representative race? I don't remember. It don't make me quote wrong. I know it's 7500 if you're for running Senate. for state Senate. Senate. 7500 wow. bucks, 15000 if you want to run for governor. I don't know what the uh, other... If you want to run and it's over $1,000, that's a significant amount of money for most people. Exactly. And just because you you don't have money uh, doesn't mean that you wouldn't be a good representative of the people in your district. And so I, I you know, I, I kind of hate that. But I think that in four years, it's going to be a big year for independence. If we continue this path as Republicans of growing government and increasing taxes and, and doing things that are in, in conflict with what the Republican Party says we are, I think that uh, the people of this state are going to look at that and go, wait a minute. So this is no different than when we had Democrats in well, control. And, and so what might happen is they may not vote for Democrats, but they may just stop donating money to the Republicans. That, or they may say, I'm looking at an independent uh, or a libertarian. Right. Right. I, I think right. that because there were people that voted tired. libertarian this last time. Because, because they were lied to. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I talk to Republican uh, committees at events, I, I talk to them about, let's remember who we are. This is what our platform says we are. And let's make sure that we elect people who not only understand this is who we are, but they're going to they're gonna adhere to this. Right. Uh, well, so. and that's just it. So, so at the end of this session, we're going to have a net tax increase. Yes. The governor, at the very beginning of the session, or pretty close to the beginning of the session, we had a tax cut, mm-hmm. sort of. Mm-hmm. It was for this first year. I think it was going to be twenty-five million dollars or so, mm-hmm. and then after the second year, is going to be ninety-five million or so per year of an income tax cut. And then we turned around and we passed a um, fuel tax, mm-hmm. but it's it's a it's a new tax, so they don't even call it a tax increase. So we we've got a fuel tax now on um, on um, gas and diesel, on, on gas and diesel mm-hmm. on the wholesale side. Which is going to be about a hundred million dollars, from what I understand. And then there's then there's the then there's the nine one one system tax, and what else? But you know, cutting cutting taxes here cent. and raising taxes there and playing shell games is not the answer. That's not good government. Good government is cutting spending. Let's look for places to cut spending. Then you can cut the tax burden for the people. Okay, a break, and then we'll be back with more after the news here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we were going to have on uh, Josh uh, from uh, Conduit. And he got sick. He said he either ate something wrong or whatever, but he he didn't go into, you know, ex- explicit ex- expression for me, but he's not feeling good. He's Let's put it that well, way. So, so he won't be, so he's here. Not be here. Josh Waters is truly sick. If he gives up a chance to talk yeah. on the microphone, <laughs> he is truly ill. Yeah, so so. We've, we do so, have. So we were talking about the Internet sales tax bill. Problem with the Internet sales tax bill, I'm going to give I'm going to give credit, Bart Hester took his 
tax cut for corporations. Mm-hmm. And it was going to go nowhere. And he attached it to the internet sales tax bill to get it passed. Or not to get it passed, but to get his bill right, passed. Right. And what has happened is that we're going to get a good bill and we're going to get a bad bill. Isn't that what government always does, though? I don't. Oh like yeah, that, that happens a lot. That's how we got the huge DC. tax increase. Well, we, we put it on. We ta- the last time, uh, last session, we got that big tax increase because we put it on a, a veterans tax cut. Oh yeah. And then we added all these taxes behind it. So yep. if you were voting yep. against that bill, you were voting against veterans. That's correct. Never mind the fact that you were trying to vote against it because it included a bunch of tax increases. That's why this is that the internet sales tax bill is going to pass. Because the only way they can get a corporate cut here in the state is uh, to vote for this bill that's got the internet sales tax. Because we can't, in it. Just, we can't just get a good, clean tax cut no. bill without some tax increases on the backside. That's what's going to happen, and so it's frustrating. So expect that it, it passed out of the House uh, committee room today with revenue and taxation. And now goes to the House floor. It will pass on the House floor. I have no doubt in my mind it's going to pass on the House floor because the people who want the Internet sales tax are going to vote for it. And the people who want the corporation sales tax are going to vote for it and in the process vote for Internet sales tax. You know what's sad? Here's what disturbs me most. Uh, These politicians will turn around during election season and they'll add up, they'll list all the tax cuts they voted for. I voted for all these tax cuts, hundreds of millions of dollars in tax cuts. But they won't tell the people, oh, and by the way, those tax cuts I voted for, that same legislation also included uh, twice the number of tax increases than there were tax cuts. They won't tell people the truth, and the people of this state are so disengaged, so many people are, that they just listen to what the politicians say, and they, they don't, they, they, they don't think, surely, yeah, surely the media wouldn't let these people get by with saying they cut taxes when actually, on a net basis, they increase taxes. Surely the media wouldn't let them by with that, but the media does, because the media has gotten so spoiled, Dave. They, they, they are spoon-fed press releases from politicians. Let me, let me tell Back you. in the old days when you and I were in the news, yeah. we didn't let politicians buy with no. that. We didn't let people spoon-feed. No. We would turn around and say, but but didn't you also increase taxes at the same time? Where, where are the media people like that? Where, hey, where did hey, they go? Hey, hey, Zach, but, but, Zach, grab the microphone for a second. I want you to tell Jan what I told you the other day when you were here, and they, they were having a presser down in the rotunda, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, I want you to watch this. I said, I want you to watch the TV people. Yeah. And they set up their cameras, mm-hmm. and they had uh, a reporter that was acting as a videographer as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Because they've cut back on the number of people that are working at the TV stations. Mm-hmm. And they were shooting uh, these people saying all the stuff that they were going to say about whatever it is they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And... Did you see any of those reporters ask a question? They did not. They were just spoon-fed by the right. people that had the presser, right? Mm-hmm. And I miss the good old days of press. Uh, when the, when the well, that was press going was on actually- when I when I went to WIBC in Indianapolis. I went as a newsman first, and I was there. And they sent me to do. They were, they were doing a thing about about uh, hunger in Indiana, and they had all of these nonprofit organizations talking about how. This many people were hungry, and yada, 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 yada. 
And they got done saying all they were going to say. All the TV stations were there. I was happened to be the only radio reporter there because WIBC was the news talk station. Mm-hmm. Now we have news talk, but we don't have really news. All right, there's not right. new news right. people at these stations. And I'm sitting there, so I started asking. They said, "Any questions?" Nobody said anything, and all of a sudden, I raised my hand. And they go, yes, sir. They didn't even know who I was at the point. And they go, yes, sir. And I said, and where did you get your statistics? Mm-hmm. Legitimate question. They, it was so funny. You would have loved it, Jan. All these speakers suddenly go back behind the lectern and form a scrum. <laughs> And they're talking to each other. They come up. Huddle, they, huh? Yeah, right. they came Where up from. Well, we up. don't really have uh, the uh, entities. And I said, then how do you know that what you're telling us is true? Uh-huh. Scrum time again. It sounds good. And by that time, the TV people who were starting to pack up and leave now are resetting their cameras <laughs> back Getting up. Getting some good sound. And they're right. ready. They're ready now. And they start asking questions. And by the time it was over. Uh, the, it got ended by the people who called the presser because they wanted to get the hell out of the the rotunda where we were at at that time because it was getting hot and heavy in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not for when I say combative press, I don't mean disrespectful combative no, like like no. Acosta, like Acosta with CNN no, did no. to the president. I think that you know the the the, the office no ask holds, questions ask though. questions in a respectful way, sir. With all due respect, uh, the numbers that you're giving us isn't it true that actually these are not really tax increases? What you did was a, a shell game with the people and we've got we've got tax increases not just tax cuts but didn't you raise more taxes than you cut there's a way to ask a question in a respectful manner a tax, and just tax re- tax reorganization yeah, tax reorganization well, however you want to call it <laughs> it's called carefully crafted language but you know let's just be honest with the people and and tell people that, well, I think that politicians in general need more press like that and that's why I blame the press I think that the press in this state has a very serious role to play in the disengagement of our population well, if you're and not I, telling people What's really going on in their government? They don't know. Well, and I think I think some Jan, of you. They don't. Well, know. I looked at all the parking spaces that are empty today. I, when spots. I pulled up here, all the press spots are empty, and I'm sitting here going, "Where? You know, why do not? Why not don't any of the TV stations and the radio <laughs> stations? Not yours. Yeah, you're right. Have a, a a They should have booths here set up. So that they, in every newscast, they should be checking it. Let's check in with so-and-so over at the state capitol and find out what kind of legislation is happening today that it will affect your lives, you the citizens. Now, so what's going on over this there? This is great. I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because, Zach, what did I tell you that they needed to have here electronically? They needed to have mobile studios they here, should. didn't I? Every yep. station should have a mobile studio here. There's plenty of room. we got plenty of room They here. don't think it sells, and it will sell if you can explain it to the people. You know what? Back when I was a, a TV anchor, I'll never forget um, one of the... Uh, uh, Consultants, you know, they bring in consultants to, to talk oh, to you yeah. and tell you how to be a better reporter. And I'll never forget this advice. One of the consultants told me, he said, Jan, before you write a story every day, before you're going to go on the air with a story, the first question you should ask is, why should Joe Sixpack sitting at home tonight watching this, why should he care about this story? Yep. And you should be able to summarize in one or two sentences why he should care. And, and that should you be your lead you don't in. have a story. You don't have a story. Right. So don't do a story about, here's what's happening at the city council meeting tonight. Do a story about... 
did you know that your groceries are going to cost you 20 cents more per dollar because of what happened tonight at the city council? Oh, now Joe Sixpack's like, no, what? My groceries? And so, I'll have more on that in 20 minutes. There you go. Exactly. Because things are happening every day, whether it's in city government or right. county government or state government, that, are, that it's impacting the lives of the people, and the media is not letting people know that, and right. they're and not realizing what's going on. And sometimes, on. you know, and you can also slant stories very easily by, by, by the inflection in your voice. By the inflection in your voice. The or raising just, of an eyebrow. Or just by exactly. Em- by emphasizing exactly. certain aspects of it. And and so some somebody, like this, like this morning I was watching Alan Clark uh, run his bill mm-hmm. about the licensing thing where they would take take right. your driver's license away from you right. if you failed to, to, to pay a fine or something of that mm-hmm. nature, which... From his perspective, that's a dumb way to punish people because it makes it so they can't pay their fines. Right. They can't go to work. And on the other hand, the um, I believe it was the was it the police chiefs or the sheriff's association? It was a ser- sheriff's association, you I think. You said that sheriff's were, association that, over lunch. That were, that were fighting against it because this was, this was an effective means of putting the thumbscrews to people to make them pay. And so th- there's there's two different perspectives there. Mm-hmm. You can run with either side of the story if you want to, and you can you can choose on some level which direction you want to you want to drag your audience in. Um, personally, I think I think Alan Clark's bill was is a good approach. I think it's a better approach. But the thing is, I could probably put the um, I could I could put my weight behind the other side of the story if I wanted to, and say that this is an effective way to make people pay their bills. We could we should we should hammer them and. And if they don't pay their bills, lock them in a cage because they won't because they don't have a driver's license. All right, I understand. Robert Steinbach is on hold, waiting to talk to us. Robert, are you there? Hey, hey, guys, how are you? You know, I'm apparently Doing good. I'm not Go. on your show enough. Are you there, Dave? Yeah, I'm here. What what happened today about uh, the freedom of speech bill? Well, that's what I was calling. It got kicked over. We it wasn't run yet, and I know that you guys uh, are going to want to talk about it because. The funny thing is, you know, you've got three folks there, including yourself, and me is a fourth, and we probably have five opinions amongst us. But one thing that we all agree on is that someone sitting at home on their Facebook at night who's a government employee shouldn't get fired or disciplined for something they write on their personal That's Facebook right. Page. Absolutely. Correct. Well, especially and, and in light of the fact... Go ahead. Go ahead. I, no, I'm going to just make one up. comment, then I'm going to get off the line with you guys. You tell me, and you guys please discuss, why these bureau hacks in the government and their lackeys in the legislature uh, who are following them want to control what you do at home on your personal time. And I'll let you guys talk about it after I hang up, okay? All right, Robert. We'll talk to you later. We right. talked about this yesterday. And uh, evidently, that bill has not been heard yet. Hopefully, it will get heard, get to the floor, and be made into law. Right. And so, so one of the things that's maddening about this is so that they're basically, they think they can fire employees, of basically bureaucratic employees mm-hmm. in many cases, for expressing their beliefs about political or religious issues on Facebook or maybe other... Mm-hmm. Twitter, um, whatever. Whatever it is. While on the other hand, we've got these bureaucrats coming down here and actually lobbying on state time. Yeah, well, that doesn't—they're not at home in their pajamas. They're—they're—they're they're, they're literally coming down here that in their mo- official that moves capacity. To a different area, though, than right. what we want to talk no, it is. about. Steinbuck it is. No, it is. Bill. Right, and, and that's what the thing is that Steinbuck actually it's a, a hammers bill. Yeah, yeah, but Steinbuck was actually wanting me to testify to this idea 
because it, it's it's just kind of a glaring hypocrisy on the part of some of these bureaucrats. Is they think they should be able to, to express their political opinions on government time, but they want to block We've government employees. We've had this discussion with several elected officials. Yeah. It will take another two years, but there will be yeah. an effective move mm-hmm. with legislation to stop it. I want to see a piece of legislation drafted that's the same as if you're in the military. Mm-hmm. That I can't, you can't show up if you're in the military in uniform. You can't use your rank. You can't do any of that. If the if the state police chief wants to come here, and somebody has invited him to offer some information, that's one thing. But he should not be able to show up in uniform or any of his lackeys, for that matter, and testify for or against any pieces of legislation. As a law enforcement officer, it should be just as a citizen. A citizen. Right, right. And so, so the, the, the kind of the gist of this bill is to make it so that that um, some of their employees could essentially do the same thing they're doing, but on their own time. Well, the bottom line is, the if you're working for a public inter, inter, entity, it's not the same if you work for a private entity. Right. That's different. But if you're working for a... A government entity like the University of Arkansas or ASU or whatever, and uh, you're posting something on your Facebook that's not on their time while you're working, then they have no say over whether you can have those feelings or not. But you know as well as I do, Dave, and I agree with you 100%, even if they don't use that as the excuse to fire you, because I've talked to to state employees, state employees who've told me, you know, I I really want, this is going on, but, you know, I can't say anything about it on social media because I'll lose my job. Well, so so even on their off time, they can't talk about things that they know that are are going on, and they can't express their opinion, because even if they're not fired for expressing their opinion... There, you know, there are ways around that. They'll they fire right. you for anything else in the world. Right. So but there should never be gonna... at least a protection against from an overt action by a government entity to try to freeze out your right to freedom of speech. Because right, apparently, right now, there are some government bureaucrats that actually think that they should be allowed to fire their employees for having. Well, a, that's been their take on this piece of legislation the whole way through. That's the impression I've gotten, which is kind of insane because. The hypocrisy on this is just maddening. These bureaucrats think they can use your tax dollars to engage in political activity, hey, but they don't want their... Their teachers think they can use your child's class time to promote whatever their personal political, political belief that, yep. that they believe in. Yes, did you so see the video of the teacher that... stop that crap, too. Yeah, the teacher that, that chomped down on a kid that was wearing a Make America Great Again hat, <laughs> you know. Of course, I don't believe in wearing hats in the classroom. But but the, but the point was there were there were other kids who wear hats in the classroom, and it was never a problem with there her wasn't a, until wasn't a hat he policy, yeah, the, yeah until he wore a Make America Great Again hat. So, well, after he attacked me for wearing a MAGA hat, the next day I'd be sagging my pants, and I'd have a answer to him written across my buttocks. <laughs> There you go. And then there I didn't go. say anything. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. A break, and we'll be back with more. <laughs> I wanted to tell you, Jan, yes, you can be a citizen journalist and broadcast live from here. You've done it. I ha- Well, yeah, because my, my audience, on my just on my personal page, is, is larger than a lot of the media outlets in this state. Yeah. So, it, it's a yeah, I have. I have done live broadcasts because I was wondering why we don't see more media people here broadcasting live all the time. And, well, that's and, more of the consultants coming in that 
come in to these TV stations and say, people don't want to hear about politics anymore. People don't want to do that. Maybe once in a while. Maybe if it's about gay marriage or something like that. But this is about the number one. We'll do the, that. Consultants tell you the push-button issues with the folks at home are money, safety. Money and safety are the two big things. Well, everything that's happening up here has to do with people's money and safety. I mean, that's a, so... It seems to me I'm interested in hearing about what's going on up here. I wish I could be up here every day because unless you're here, it's really hard. It is hard. You well, know, in unless the, you're listening in the to your evening, show. In the evening stuff, uh, you'll get a little uh, – their newscast uh, in the evening, you'll get a little bit more content. Mm-hmm. In right. The, you ever watch the morning shows? I, no. There is no content in it except we're going to make you feel good. Here's your news recipe. Uh, here's the dog of the week or the cat of the week that we want you to go out and adopt. I mean, that's the stuff that you say. It makes me want to hurl. I mean, it does. Once we, I, I get, I get vomit in my mouth just thinking about it. So we've got, we've got government employees coming down here advocating against your rights because they want to keep their funding source. And because they know they can get by with it and nobody's going to tattle on them. They don't but, see that but, as a story. Right. Paul. On that's the other, what I'm telling on the other you. hand, they think it's a story. That some dog needs to be adopted. Mm-hmm. The fact they even call it adoption is kind of profane. But th- they've got some dog. Well, they, thought, they thought it was a story because I didn't shoot somebody when legally I could have in, in a brief three-second well, window. Yeah. That's a story. Right. But, but at the end of the day, though. And it we, happened to Jan we've Morgan. Got, it happened to Jan. Right. We've got, <laughs> happened we've got important stuff going on. It's, it's newsworthy. Yeah. That, that impacts the lives of thousands and thousands of people it, in this it, state. It, it does. And it's and it's. It's highlighting some of the corruption of our local of our government officials. Okay, so I'm going to have Jan. This is called a tease. A tease. Right? Okay. I'm going to have Jan when we come back to talk about what Facebook has been doing to her and doing to a lot of the people that are on her Facebook page, mm-hmm. and they're trying to get you to do the same thing that they got her to do. But they decided what she was trying to raise money for wasn't copacetic in, in the Facebook world. And maybe whatever it is, the, the nonprofit group or whatever, you're going to try to raise money for. It's not either. And But then you can't get the money out of them that the people gave to the, to the group or whomever. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of holding on to it. So we're going to talk about that. Okay, now that's a tease. You come back. After we take our break at the bottom of the hour, it's going okay. to be about five minutes long. Sounds then I'm going, to, I'm going to turn Jan loose. I'm going to turn her loose on Facebook when we come back here right. in a little bit. And it's worth being turned loose on, is it mm-hmm. not? Absolutely. People are going to be shocked. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Unless you know anything about Zuckerberg, and then you won't be shocked at all. Yeah. You know, bottom line. Bla- blatant theft by deception. That's yeah. what I'm going to talk about. Have you attacked uh, Twitter yet? I, you know, I haven't. I don't do a whole lot on Twitter. I do know that they have uh, really done some things to my page. They refuse to verify my page. Uh, and being verified on social media is a huge deal, and they won't verify mine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Isn't that so interesting? So you're going to sue them? No. Oh, no. you should. So, so, Jan, you're not officially. such a good story, Jan. I'm not officially an official you're, person. You're not, you're not officially real. I'm not officially real on Twitter, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm three times, four times officially real on, on Facebook. So. I'm here to tell you she's the real deal. All right, a break for news. When we come back, Facebook is in the, the bullseye on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, I'm going to tell you that my tease worked because Wayne is sitting there. He has not moved. 
He heard the tease, and he wants to hear what you have to say about faith. Amy is here. Amy Freeman's here. She wants to hear what this is all about. They about know what Facebook. it's all about. They know what it's all about. Uh, well, People, you tell okay, us no what secret, it's all about. It's no secret that Facebook discriminates against conservatives. That's been a national story. We've seen Zuckerberg testify about it, and they, they really don't make any bones about it. They try to act like they don't, but they do. And here's the bottom line. I want to preface what happened with me. I want to preface it with this. Facebook is a privately owned company. They have every right to set their own rules. Uh, I, I, I don't like their rules, but listen, it's Mark Zuckerberg's company. If he wants to discriminate against conservatives, that's his right. Okay. Now, with that being said, they have this little thing that it's called Create Your Own Fundraiser. And on my birthday, I logged onto Facebook, and the first thing I saw was a message from Facebook that said, Here, push this button and create your own fundraiser for it your birthday. Jan. Happy birthday. Yeah, it said, Jan, happy birthday. Create your own fundraiser. What would you like people to donate to? Or, you know, it could just be to you. You can you could just say, Hey, I want money. Don't. But what I did was, I was like, Oh, well, I've never done this before. I think I will. So I clicked on the little icon that Facebook gave me, and I created a fundraiser, and here's what I said it was for. I want to raise money to help cover the cost of training, self-defense training for financially disadvantaged women and women who are victims of domestic violence. I want to teach them situational awareness, uh, decision-making in a crisis, and how to tactically, you know, defend their lives. Well, tactical means firearms, okay? Well, Facebook, I submitted the request to raise money. Facebook approved the post. They clicked, your post has been, your fundraiser has been approved. So here is where my problem with them is. If they had a problem with the content of my fundraiser, they should have not approved it. But they approved it. That little fundraiser in a week's time raised $4,000. I ended the fundraiser. I clicked in because my birthday's passed. People don't want to keep seeing give to Jan's deal. So I clicked in. And then I waited. And a month passed. We want the money. $4,000. Friends of mine on Facebook had sent in, had donated. So Facebook took that money, $4,000. They took that money, and then they sat on it. They didn't give it to me. They didn't give it back to the people. They sat on it. So after a month passed, I started messaging Facebook and said, what what, what happened? What is the deal here? Is there, do you need more information? What's the problem here? Well, your fundraiser, they say, it violates our community standards because it could be related to firearms or firearms parts. However... They okayed it from the very beginning. They okayed it from the very beginning. Right. So my point was, okay, so what's going to happen to these people's money? You, all these people donated money. You sh- they should refund this money to the people. Well, some of those people that donated told me they've gotten messages as of yesterday because I started pitching a fit. I started sending a barrage of messages and said, this is theft. You took that money from the people. You used it to, to, to generate interest. You, you gained interest off of that money. And uh, you should pay these people back, and you should pay them with interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so and I, and I said, I will see you in court. Those were my last words and my last message to Facebook. I will see you in court. Well, all of a sudden, I mean within minutes, messages started getting sent to people who had donated. And the message was, we are going to refund your money. This fundraiser violated our community standards. Okay, which made me look bad. It was like this this hmm. girl's doing something wrong and unethical, which is disparaging to my reputation. So I was angry about that. I was angry that they took this money. I was angry that they approved the post to begin with and then disproved it after, you know, a month and a half. Um, so then 
because of, I posted on Facebook. I went on Facebook and I said, hey, folks, here's the deal. All of you who donated to my cause, I want you to know that Facebook took your money. They did not give it to me. I cannot give this to disadvantaged women who need training uh, because Facebook says this is about firearms and firearms parts. So I just want you to know you might want to ask for your money back. And I included the post from Facebook where they said this is, you know, violated our standards. Well, immediately, in retaliation, Facebook sent me a message and said, you've been blocked from your page. (laughs) Because you're telling the truth. Because I'm exposing them for who they are. So now I'm blocked from my page for three days. People are in that post asking all kinds of questions. Well, Jan, what about this? Well, how can we get this? And I can't even respond. I can't even comment. So so it's not like you're kind of being punished for insubordination. Yeah, being slapped. Because they know that it's a very powerful entity, and they know I've got, you know, what, about 300,000 people on that one page, and they know that, they, you know, I'm not going to, and what am I going to do, hire a lawyer and fight them over $3,000? No. It's not your money. Well, it's not my money. Right. I don't have that money. Right. So, so you're not, you might not even be a It's not an issue of money with me. Your, right. That It's not a money issue. I can principle. raise money. I can raise. It's the principle of the matter. It's the principle of, of using the people, of saying this is okay, and then raising all that money, and then saying it's not okay. And I wonder if I hadn't announced on Facebook and told all those people, hey, you need to contact Facebook because they took your money. If I hadn't done that, would have they have kept the money? That's a good question. I don't know. Yeah. That's a really good question. So, you know, this is not the first run-in I've had with Facebook. Several years ago, they deleted my page. They deleted my page. They deleted Chicks on the Right. They deleted three or four pages of so some very uh, pages that had large conservative followings. They deleted us, and Todd Starnes with Fox News did a story on it. And because Fox News came after it, well, then all of a sudden, Facebook corporate decided to connect us with someone who could listen to us that we could actually reach a real person. But the, the, here's the deal. There are so many conservatives out there that are getting blocked from their own pages over simply saying something that Facebook finds politically incorrect. We love Trump. Blocked. Exactly. Yeah, blocked. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, and Diamond and Silk have had their oh, own yeah. battles. It, it's, it's an ongoing thing. But the bottom line is until conservatives get their own platform on social media, we're always going to be censored. And you just know that. So I'm not whining about being censored. It's his company, his rules. I'm just saying that your rules suck. So they just wrote to you just a few moments ago. Oh, yes. Ago. I just got an email because I had sent uh, my contact with Facebook Corporate a message, and I, several messages, actually, and, and said, okay, why, why is this happening to me? And, and here was her response. She said, Jan, here's our response on Facebook. Our community standards explain that we do not allow the purchase, the sale, the gifting, exchange, and transfer of firearms, including firearms parts or ammunition, between private individuals on Facebook, firearm shops, and online retailers can discuss sales of firearms and firearm parts. Of course, they never mind the fact that I do own a firearm shop and I have a federal firearms license, but never mind that. Uh, And she said uh, they can discuss it and they can sell online and comply with all applicable laws and regulations. For fundraisers, our policies do not allow fundraisers that involve knives, firearms, explosives, and other weapons or any accessory or component of a weapon or firearm. So when I said that I wanted to train victims of domestic violence and teach them the skills they need to save their lives, the self-defense skills, which include a wide gamut of things, not just possession and, and training on a firearm, they want domestic violent victims to not be able to use a gun to save their lives. That's their response. So that's the, the broadness of that rule. So including knives, mm-hmm. knives. thing that involves knives. Anything that involves so knives, So does that yeah. mean, in, in, involve a cooking show? 
It, it means that basically <laughs> you, your 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 response, if you're going to help victims of domestic violence, that you should be telling them to pee on themselves or blow a whistle. I yeah, guess which is, which is kind of the that is the liberal response to yeah. what you're well, supposed well, to do. Well, you're right, not supposed to own a gun. You, you can't actually. You know, it was um, who was it this morning in committee? I think it was Lori Rushing this morning in committee when they were talking about the bill that was going to allow um, legislators to carry guns mm-hmm. here in the Capitol. Right. Lori Rushing was making the point that, you know what, females are more vulnerable than men. Sure they are. The fact is, women because are Because God created, God created yeah. us to be, well, the, the you know, we're, that, yeah. You know, with the exception of those few females that are well, like, that, that are freaks, black but, belt, taekwondo right, right. But, people. And so but, there, there are a few people out there that are just weird and big and, and different, but the fact is that, so my sister and I are pretty similar in build, except for my sister's a female and I'm a male. I'm about six or eight inches taller than she is. I outweigh her. Well, she's mm-hmm. pregnant right now, so I probably don't outweigh her by a whole mu- whole lot. But when we're when she's not pregnant, I'm I, I probably outweigh her by fifty pounds mm-hmm. or maybe more. I'm a lot bigger than she is, but mm-hmm. we're very similar in build. I think otherwise, right. the fact is we're different. Well, we're and, women. But, but, even but if, she's if, got if, a, even if you're young and healthy, that, that's not the the point. Is the, the, we are more vulnerable, and especially as we get older, the women and men, you, you're not always going to be able. Even right. if you're some kind of um, mm-hmm. you know high hand to hand combat mm-hmm. uh, icon, you're still not. At some point, you're going to be as more vulnerable as you mm-hmm. age. We aren't as strong as we used to be, mm-hmm. and I shouldn't have to depend on my physical ability mm-hmm. to restrain a bad guy. Right, and the fact is. Guns make the difference. Gun is my equalizer. It doesn't matter how big he is or how many there are. If I've got a gun on me, Mm -hmm. I have an equal opportunity to survive. I could be seven feet eight, four hundred pounds of hard muscle. That's right. But if I've got if I've got my H and K VP nine with seventeen rounds, I can take you on. Absolutely, you can. You can do it with a twenty two Magnum, for that matter. And what most people don't understand is that doesn't mean I I have to shoot you. It means it gives me an option to bring a gun into play and say, "Not me, wrong girl." Right. You right. picked the, the wrong girl. The, the fact is, it doesn't matter how big I am, unless I'm, unless I have serious body armor on. That little handgun that weighs two pounds or, or maybe armor. six ounces. What are you talking about? I, well, just, you know, I just flex and pull the bullets bounce <laughs> off. <man>. Right. <laughs> well, I haven't developed that well, Dave. So, so, so I, I can't do that yet. But at the end of the day, though, a handgun is something that's it's very valuable for, for people who are weaker. If you disarm everybody. Then the massively strong... You're never going to be able to disarm everybody. You can't disarm everybody. But at the end of the day, that is kind of the goal of the left, I think. Is yes, it is. Because that's, that's the kind of only the, the only way that gun control can effectively make a serious difference in, in, in violence locally inside. But the fact, the fact is that you end up making the people very vulnerable to a treacherous government. Yeah, but here's the, the, the problem with this, is that it would be the people making themselves vulnerable. It would be. But... We've got an inordinate amount of people in our country now mm-hmm. that if they passed a law saying you got to turn in your guns, they would I'm, turn it in. There's a lot of people who said, "Well, I can't break in. the law. I'll exactly. turn it in." Never mind. I'm just that the, over my dead body. That exactly. happens because I've got rights. That's why I was so encouraged when when the, there were news stories that came out eventually after the uh, bump stock ban went mm-hmm. into effect and all these people's like I'm not turning my bump stock in and, and they've got like and like six people turn them in or something I yeah some ridiculously low number but I was so proud of all the people that said I'm not turning mine in well it's like in Connecticut remember when they banned AK all those people were standing and they were in all standing and then there was all was of those like, people standing along the side of the road holding yes. their AK 15s and saying, come and get it. 
there you go. There you go. I love that. Well, you know, the bottom line is people need to the, – the, the far left doesn't want to talk about this. But our founders, the, the Second Amendment is not your gun permit. It is a statement limiting the power of the government. And our founders – our Second Amendment was never about hunting. It was, it was not really even about self-defense. It was about keeping tyranny at bay. And that is why our founders wanted the people to have the right – to keep in bear arms, not that it be a government issued privilege, right. no, it's not, it's not, not a, to be regulated or restricted. It's not, it's not a privilege, and so the so the, the the regulation point we were talking. Go ahead if you want to. No, you go ahead. Finish so, so, up so your thought. The, the point is that it is a right, and it's not to be infringed upon. It's and and the some people will point to the well right the well regulated aspect of it. Well, that's, that's just kind of the the preamble to the actual right that's being addressed in the constant in the Second Amendment itself. Mm-hmm. The right of the people to keep in bear arms shall not be infringed. That's the law. And there's a preamble to that, um, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. That's a preamble mm-hmm. to the following, which is the right that's actually being protected. Our founders used the word right instead of privilege. Mm-hmm. The drafts, when they were writing the Second Amendment, the drafts, the, the book is as thick as Moby Dick, okay? Mm-hmm. It is huge. That the, They sweated it over every single word of that amendment, and they carefully chose every word and debated every word. And the word right instead of privilege was, was chosen by our founders because they understood something that many of our politicians don't, and that is that there's a difference between a right and a privilege. A right is inalienable. You're born with it. It is not to be regulated or restricted. It, it, you're slaves, born with it. Slaves it's a right. have privileges. Yeah. Privileges are something that an entity like a government can give you, and what the government can give, the government can take away. And that's why I get so angry at gun owners, strong gun owners, who stand up and say, the Second Amendment is my gun permit. I say, no, it's not. It's not. Not a permit. No, it's not. Your permission slip. Please do not give the government that kind yeah, of power. It's, it's not a no. The Second Amendment is a statement to the government, not a statement about... It's a statement it to is, the government, limiting the power sanction. of the people. It is a sanction against limiting government. Limiting the power of the government. You shall not infringe. All right. A break. So now you know the story behind Jan and And Facebook. why I can't answer you on Facebook if you're on my page. That's I, right. I'm blocked for three days. And then when she comes back next Tuesday, she'll tell you where it's at again. Right. We'll keep it, we'll keep it running. Okay. Talk about this. Okay. All right. Thank All you right. very much for sharing that. Uh, don't forget that Ed Monk's coming up after the 4 o'clock news. We're going to take a break right now, come back and finish up this hour on the Dave Ellswick Show. Third floor outside in the Capitol. And you know, you can learn the little-known strategies that could help you save tens of thousands of dollars in taxes with a free tax reduction analysis and you can get it from david lucas david lucas financial you hear him every saturday 10 and three o'clock here at 101.1 fm david's a published author he's right here in little rock this free analysis reveals the little known strategies and loopholes that could help you save thousands of dollars in taxes you know when you're looking at your ira your 401k social security benefits etc get your free analysis by being one of the first 10 callers right now at 501-653-6690. It's your opportunity to save tens of thousands of dollars in taxes in retirement. The number again, 501-653-6690. That's 501-653-6690. All right, so interesting story from uh, Jan Morgan about her run-in with the uh, the powers that be of Facebook, and we'll be talking uh, to uh, her about that again next week. 
coming up in the next hour, we're going to talk with a good friend of mine. You've heard him many times here on the Dave Ellswick Show, and that's uh, Ed Monk from, uh, of course, Last Resort Firearms Training. He's had a, a run-in, and we've talked about it on the air before, several months back with, uh, was it Senator Stephanie Flowers? Well, it was with a sergeant of arms. It was two okay. years ago, a little okay. over two years ago. But the senator got it started, correct? Uh, don't know that for sure. I, it probably had something to do with the initiation based off the depositions that we just had. Okay, so anyway, we'll, we're going to talk about this coming up in the next. I'm doing, I'm doing another tease. All right, you're looking good today. No, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just do, I'm, I'm doing a tease. Uh, make sure you stick can I around. Tease something too. Yeah, go right ahead. So after we come back, can I tell people the people, the Republicans that actually voted were like Republicans uh, against Medicaid expansion. I've got the list of those who voted against it. Okay, besides Josh Miller, who else? Uh, Bentley, Ladyman, Rushing, Cozart, Lundstrom, Brant Smith, Dotson, McCollum, Speaks, Gates, Penzo, Sullivan. Gonzalez, Petty, Tosh, Hodges, Pilkington, and Womack. The Lund- the, the, Those are the people that kept in that kept in compliance and adhered to the Republican Party platform. Okay, they voted against they Medicaid vote, expansion Medicaid funding. Expand- yeah. So they had all the Democrats on board. They had all the Democrats the on board, could, and then the a number they of they Republicans. Yeah, they got seventy-five yeas, eighteen nays, and then there were there were five that non-voted, and that was Beck, Kavanaugh, Gene Miller. Josh Miller was a non-vote, and Peyton, hmm. John Peyton. Those were non-votes. Okay. So. Interesting. All right. So good for some of them for standing up on principle because they knew. I'm going to tell you what, when they walked into the tra- chamber to throw that vote, they knew how it was going to turn out. And there will probably. be repercussions for them voting against it, too. Could be. Could be. You watch. Like, uh, we got, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to move you out of there just for a second, Ed. And we're going to bring over state representative. You know this guy. State Representative Wing is going to join us. I was just bragging about him. Yeah, we about were, his legislation. Said, yeah, you know, we, we were talking about good government, and when you talk about finding ways to cut spending, and this was a guy that did his research. He was a Republican. This really makes me proud of Republicans. But here's the key: he got defeated on this bill today Shocking. in the Senate. Shocking. Why? Yesterday, yes, yesterday. Uh, okay. okay, happened in Senate committee last night, and to be honest, I haven't talked to the the folks. It passed on a voice vote. Uh, then it was uh, called for a roll call, and it failed on the roll call. Uh, at this point in the session, it's awfully tough to get uh, things rolling again. But I'm going to find out. I'm going to talk to it was Senator Davis that asked for the roll call. I'll find out what's what. I can't conject any mm-hmm. uh, potential theories. But, uh, but we'll Republicans have control over the legislature, and your bill did exactly what the Republican Party platform says we're supposed to do, yes. which is you look for ways to cut spending, and you, you were going to save us, what, a million dollars per half mile? It was Well, it, it was it was $7 million on a $70 million project, so yeah. that was about 10% on that particular one. It'll vary per Cutting spending uh, per without deal. cutting jobs, without hurting anything, saving money. And I will say, all is not lost, however, because the initial pilot program that I brought to the table two years ago is still intact. In what we were trying to do was expand it, um, and so it's still got a $200 million cap. We have three projects. We were trying to expand it to five. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, we made a couple of other changes in the RFP process as well. In fact, I had a conversation with the governor about it. He initially was concerned about the transparency of it, and that is that is that was a good concern. We amended it to make sure it was very transparent, the whole RFP mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. And we thought we had everybody on board. So we'll we'll find out. This is legislation yep. that's uh, kind of part of the... 
So there's, you don't know of anybody actually opposing the thing or why they would oppose it at this point? At this point, I don't know okay. because we, we, we had gone to the table. Now, we had negotiated during the most the, the larger part of this session, mm-hmm. probably about the first two-thirds of this session with the general contractors because right. there was some concern that the Arkansas contractors weren't ready for this type of construction manager uh, method. Well, who cares? It's for saving money. Yeah, and so what we did, and that's one of the reasons why we were bringing this on piecemeal so that that they could gear up because this is a direction we want to head. Now, this was not very risky. The Arkansas Highway Transportation Department has 400 projects. This would have affected four, exactly 1%. But we were trying to show positive gains, and we got positive gains on the first one. We saved seven yeah. million dollars to the taxpayer. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll keep trying. We will keep trying. Okay, you, well, folks, yeah. you remember this name, Carlton Wing, state representative. When he runs for office again, you remember that this was a Republican that actually adhered to the Republican Party. Saved platform. you money. Cutting, yeah, <laughs> saving money. Saved you money, and he'll be back on my show quite often before next election cycle. Thank you yeah. very much. Well, thank you for Always coming by today. It. Thank you. I wanted you to explain that to everybody. Thank you. You tell us if you find out why. I will. I will. Somebody poison pilled you. And there's a small possibility we could try to resurrect okay. it. Okay. Well, maybe maybe you can find out, and then maybe tomorrow or Thursday you can yeah. okay. give us a, a report. Stop by. We'll do. We'll do. Be right. good to see you. Thank Thanks you. so much. All right. We're going to take a break. We come back. Ed Monk and his fight here in the Capitol to be here without threat of being arrested. You'll be back with us in a moment to talk about it on the Dave Ellswick Show. Thank you. All right. As I told you uh, throughout the show today, that the 4 o'clock hour I wanted to to, to direct towards uh, Ed Monk from uh, Last Resort Firearm Training. Uh, We have talked on air before about what happened a situation that happened to him how long has it been now Ed? a little over two years over two years yeah. we started talking about this about six months after it happened and we've talked about it several times yeah. since and uh, there's been some movement on this uh, ed's lawyer joy mccutcheon is online and mr mccutcheon thanks for the uh, the time today and uh, let me just start off by asking you where where are we with this. I mean, we have a potential state senator who lied about uh, Ed Monk, about threatening her, and that went down to, uh, I guess, the sergeant at arms over on the Senate side. And then he didn't do his due diligence, and I guess he lied. And then people who know about this and were also involved in this. Uh, in other aspects, lied as well, and you guys have got them dead to rights. Is that not correct? I think that's right. Although we're having a we're ty- having a hard time piercing the cover up at this point. You know, we've taken uh, 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 Al Vernon Rogers' deposition, and uh, frankly, didn't learn a whole lot. And it just seems like the cover up on this thing uh, is a, at least as bad as what they put Mr. Munt through. And they put him through a lot by, uh, for some reason, making up lies uh, and, and spreading false allegations uh, about someone who's been nothing less than professional. Okay, so what does this say to the average citizen? I mean, I saw the, the email that he sent to uh, you know Senator Flowers. There was nothing in it that was in any way, shape, or form threatening although 
She felt threatened. I mean, well, we had her in a meeting earlier this year in a committee meeting, and she felt threatened by Senator Ballinger because Senator Ballinger believes in being able to uh, conceal carry. I mean, it's not like she's not hard to scare. Well, yeah, I think it. I think it. It uh, certainly uh, this kind of conduct uh, chills the speech of average citizens. You know, when when a folks in authority can make accusations like this and not be held accountable, uh, whether that's a senator, whether that's a sergeant at arms, whether that's a state trooper, uh, when they can make up allegations and not be held accountable for their actions, conduct rewarded, conduct repeated. And I, and I think it, it uh, sends a, a pretty threatening message to people who want to come down to the Capitol and speak out on it, any issue. Obviously, uh, Ed Muck was... was uh, taking advantage of his Second Amendment right, but it could be on any issue. So uh, a stop needs to be put put to this kind of, kind of conduct, and somebody so, needs to get to the bottom of this. So, Mr. McCutcheon, I know you well enough. You've been on my show before. Uh, you're one of those lawyers that will go out and tilt at windmills if necessary. Did, did you think that there was a good shot at winning this, or did you think they would do just exactly what they've done and thrown up every kind of roadblock and and uh, wall that they could to keep this from uh, you know really being heard by the public and, and in the court system well we we hope that they would would uh, be honest and straightforward and uh, we'd get to the bottom of this uh, ed didn't want to file suit in this ed uh Ed took every reasonable action to try to find out information through our Freedom of Information Act, which he got information, uh, which which pretty clearly kind of outlined uh, all of our claims here. And uh, but still, nobody wants to be held accountable. And uh, it just looks like somebody, uh, somebody in in a responsible supervisory position needs to step up and do the right thing somebody knows what happened here so we're going to continue to fight this battle from a legal standpoint uh, there's been a motion uh, to dismiss this case filed by the attorney general's office uh, we have uh, uh, filed our response we've had arguments before uh, judge alice gray and and uh, uh, we're expecting a ruling probably within the next couple of weeks so what, what I find interesting is it, you've been threatened to be arrested on this issue? No, but based off what the sergeant of arms, the false allegations he gave to the state troopers, along with giving him my, the troopers my ACIC photo, which he uh-huh. obtained illegally, okay. had I just happened to come in the Capitol that afternoon right. with the state police walking around with my photo, having been told this is Ed Monk, who's probably armed, he threatened a senator this morning, and he may try to return. Had I just walked into the Capitol that afternoon to be on Dave's show or mm-hmm. do anything else, there would have been three troopers holding my photo with that false report looking at the guy that looked like the photo they're holding. So I could have been tased, wow. cuffed, detained. Yeah, Unbelievable. Was, Did you, was there ever any exchange between you and the senator other than that letter that I just read, that, that very respectful letter? She never, she was, she never responded. Uh, but in his deposition, Al Vernon Rogers said that she told him, I don't want Mr. Monk contacting me in any way. 
which of course a sergeant of arms has no authority, has no way of stopping a constituent from politely interacting with their elected representatives. And they can't stop you from coming to the state capitol. This is your uh, building. Well, well not legally. Not legally. But if they get state troopers on the lookout for you, that'll treat you wrong because they've been lied to. Because or, they've been told that you're, you, you've threatened. And they called my boss, not, yeah. the chief of police in my city, and wow. said, you've got an officer up here out of control threatening a senator running around. And uh, so they're threatening my job, threatening my my reputation, my character, my honor, and possibly getting me roughed up by the state. So troopers. when you can't even send a letter, a very res- I read, I just read the letter. When you cannot even send a very respectful letter, simply asking a senator to 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 explain her position on why she stood the way she did on a certain issue, there was nothing. I, I saw nothing, not a word that was disrespectful or threatening in any way. And no. that that's why I was asking: Is there something else that I'm missing here? Nope. The, the chief of the Capitol Police told me in a recorded phone call that he thought it was written as professional as if he had written it himself. This is a very dangerous precedent to set. You've already got her in, in the situation with you, and then now you've got her openly saying, which went viral nationally, uh, openly saying that she feels threatened by the simple lawful carrying of a firearm by any other legislators or anyone in her presence. She doesn't want anyone in her city to legally be carrying guns on them, concealed or open. She, she feels threatened by that. So at what point are we going to, I mean, this is a slippery slope when we are issuing uh, pictures and issuing warnings about citizens simply because some senator who has irrational fears of law-abiding citizens who have to be carrying guns. That, and there's nothing illegal with having irrational fears. There is something illegal and unethical about making up fabricated stories of misconduct mm-hmm. and giving that to law enforcement so they will negatively act on that person. It's called swatting. Mm-hmm. You know what happens all yes, the time. exactly. And when a government employee does that knowingly while he's on duty in his capacity as a government employee, mm-hmm. that is extremely unethical really? and extremely serious. And, and then some- when the state police and the Senate staff and the Capitol Police work together to cover it up, and uh-huh. to lie. Uh, a captain in the Capitol Police told me in a recorded meeting that the Capitol Police would have never given a Senate Sergeant of Arms my photo off of ACIC because that's a crime to give that to a non-law enforcement officer. But you're saying In his did. deposition, Alvard and Rogers, Sergeant of Arms, told us, sworn in the deposition, that that, that captain who, who told me it would have never happened, that captain is the one who gave me my photo. So what is your outcome here? What are you hoping to accomplish with, you've got a lawyer now, what, what's the solution here? Um, and, you know, people have asked me that, what are you trying to get out of this? And I, I really don't think what I want is important. I think every honorable person in and out of office do, does not want people that act like this in office whether it's an administrative office or an elected office. So if I had died the date after this happened, I would have hoped honorable people, knowing that this happened, would have been, we have to identify these people who knowingly acted this unethically and get them out of their position because we do not want to continue with people this unethical in their position. Well, and there's supposed to be a, a process in place to prevent swatting because we've, we, the Fourth Amendment lays out some things. You have probable cause based upon oath or affirmation. It's not just a, a hunch or a... Or a, 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 a an anonymous tip, tip that comes in, therefore we're going to go out and arrest Ed Monk if he comes to the Capitol building. That's insane. But so, Joey McCutcheon here. This is Paul Calvert. I, I, I just a few days ago I was talking to a couple of, ter- of attorneys, and they were telling me that there's a pretty big problem with um, people not being held accountable for basically making false reports, for for falsely testifying or perjury type things. It, do you see the same thing there, Joey? I do. I think we have to. I think we have to hold people accountable. And uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's sad that it has to come down to a lawsuit to attempt to you know hold 
uh, officials accountable. I mean, I mean, they serve us. I mean, the the a state senator or a state representative or a state trooper, uh, we they're accountable to us. And and when they go to great lengths, uh, not only to smear someone's reputation, but then to cover it up. And you know, everyone from from uh, uh, the the Senate personnel who are responsible to the governor to the attorney general to you know somebody needs to hold somebody accountable i guess that's all i can say and we're not going away until until ed justice ed ed monk receives justice all right so joey so i understand sometimes there's good faith mistakes but a lot but if there is a good faith mistake then you should be able to 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 follow that back and see what happened. Was there a mistaken identity? Was there a, was a conversation that somebody misunderstood? But from what I can tell, y'all aren't y'all haven't been able to trace it back to a to a good faith mistake. It, what do we What do we have here? Is it just Is it just a cover up? And and there's government officials that just don't want to hold bad people accountable. Well, I think it was a malicious act. Uh, but certainly, if someone would have come forward and uh, uh, said, "Look, you know, I I did this. Uh, I apologize. Uh, I don't think it would have ever ever come to this." And uh, just knowing who Ed Monk is, and uh, I mean, you know, just I mean, we're we're dealing with Ed Monk, who's a West Point graduate, uh, a, a respectable citizen i mean and that's the thing the police the state troopers picked up on immediately uh that ed monk was a supporter of the state troopers he was uh, a law-abiding citizen uh, and just just think of uh folks who did not have the the determination and the willpower that ed has just let this type of conduct uh just go because they're scared to death and uh crazy hence the reason we do not need red flag laws in this state because here we have here we have a state senator who is thinks that if you are carrying a gun even you're legally carrying a gun you have a a, a license to carry you even have an enhanced license to carry she believes that you're a dangerous person and and so she can call police and say you know this person's dangerous he's threatened me he's threatening me i'm I'm fearful because he's the way he's walking around the way and then they come and arrest you because she feels that you're and dangerous. And take your guns. And take your guns. Well, and, that, and that's and that's kind until of, you can prove you're not crazy. I, I would just like to say that's I don't I don't think this is about me. I filed the lawsuit uh, at the very dead end last minute because I wanted to try to give. I were I tried to give the AG's office, the governor's office, lieutenant governor's office, the, the leaders of the Senate, uh, and the state police, up to and including the director of the state police. I tried to give them all the chance to just do what's right. Don't do anything special for me. Just do what's right. And they all just abjectly failed and so i had no other recourse i've never sued anybody in my life but when i have a recorded phone call by the the trooper who witnessed the false report and who called it to the state headquarters and he tells me the name of the person he got the false allegations from and then i read a state police memo by a captain who also names that same person uh but then the state police claim they don't know when i've got a memo written by a state police captain that names him and a recorded phone call by a corporal who names him but I have a letter by the director of the state police saying they don't know. 
That letter says that the troopers don't even know anybody in the sergeant of arms, much less the one person who gave the false complaint. But I've got a recorded phone call where one of the troopers says, yes, I know that guy. And in his deposition, that sergeant of arms said he knows by sight and name all three and was actually a drill instructor for two of the three. But So I have absolute evidence that they knew each other, but I have a letter written to me by the director of the state police saying my troopers did not know anybody in the sergeant of arms. Wow. There's right. no other way to describe it this is, except a lie. This is the same director who actively fights against our right to keep and bear arms in the state. Yep. All right. Let's take a break. Uh, we'll come back with uh, Ed's lawyer, Joey McCutcheon. Ed, uh, also uh, Jan uh, Morgan's here, and so is Paul Calvert. Dave Ellswick show a break and then more. All right, so let me set this up for you if you just joined us here at uh, 4.30. I've got Ed Monk here, who is the owner, proprietor, main bottle washer of Last Resort Firearm Training, who's also a police officer and is part-time, correct? Part-time, too. All right. Yeah. And, that, and that's in Whitehall, right? Correct. Well. And then on the phone with us is his lawyer, Joey McCutcheon. Uh, Jan Morgan is here. Paul Calvert's here from the power panel. And then I'm here because I have to. They pay me to be here. <laughs> uh, I'm Dave Ellswick, and this is my show. And we're at the state capitol today. We're on the third floor, the house side. And we're talking about something that happened here in the state Capitol. Now, they call this the People's House. But the problem is, is that we're treated anything but respectfully many times mm-hmm. when, when we're here. Now, I'll be honest, I've never had any problem at all with the, uh, po- the Capitol Police or, or the Red Coats or the, the Brown Coats or any of those. I call them the Red Coats and Brown Coats. They're the ones that stand around the doors of the House and the Senate. And make sure people behave themselves. Yeah, on the House end, they wear red coats. That's the, right. And Senate end, they wear brown coats. That's correct. Or gold coats, whatever you want to call it. And then, we want to, and then we want to get Joey back in here. Joey, you took this, this case uh, from, from Ed. What, what was it that, that stoked your interest in this case? Was it just that it was so egregious of what these people had done to him? I, I think on a couple of levels, you know, I believe in transparency. And uh, I think that our government officials, uh, things need to be transparent. And this was just a, a blatant example of, of uh, a, a violation of transparency. And, and uh, I think there was a cover-up. Uh, there were lies. Uh, you know, just a betrayal of the trust of the people. All those things combined. And uh, when Ed and I talk, it, it's really hard to believe. It, it's, <laughs> it's like... Did this really happen? Can this really happen right. in our republic that that uh, citizens are treat, treated like this? Well, we all know that it can, but uh, these facts are just uh, egregious and outrageous. And somebody needs to, to bottom line. Somebody needs to be held accountable, and there needs to be consequences. People people need to lose jobs. From you know, it started mm-hmm. off with with uh, Al Vernon Rogers. Uh, and it it needs to go from there because it's more than just the event now. It's the cover-up. And as we all know, the cover-up sometimes uh, more egregious than the underlying fact. So, so Joey, I know that you're kind of a you're kind of a big champion for FOIA, Freedom of Information Act stuff. And so, this is kind of right up your alley because the cover-up aspect of 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 government is is kind of the 
the very antithesis of of the freedom of information idea. And, and so this is kind of right up your alley. I mean, it, it, am I am I right there? Right. I just I just I believe uh, you know we have one of the strongest FOIA laws in the country, which uh, frankly has been under attack by uh, the last two sessions. It's it's I mean there's been more. Uh, proposed exemptions to FOIA and transparency than you can shake a stick at. And uh, we've got to fight for transparency because that's the only way we're going to hold government accountable. And obviously the, the second way to hold government accountable is through uh, the right to trial by jury. Uh, and uh, so we've got to protect FOIA. We've got to protect the right to trial by jury because that's the way we protect citizens. Hey, Joey, for the people out there who've not been paying that close of attention, uh, give us a couple of examples of ways that our freedom of information has been under attack in the last few legislative sessions. Just give us a couple of quick examples. Well, uh, for example, uh, um, let's see, which where do I start? Uh, you know, there, there's <laughs> been, uh, I believe it was Senate Bill 72. I think last time there were 10 different bills that wanted exemption. Uh, for example, right. there was a bill filed last session. Told the lie to Lieutenant Governor Griffin, the same lie he told me. You can lie All right, me. back with you. And uh, Mr. McCutcheon, my uh, apologies. I wasn't watching my clock. We had a hard break for news, and we went to that. And uh, you were talking about, I think, uh, Senator, at that time, Representative Ballinger and his attack on FOIA. We've had some attacks on FOIA this year. Robert Steinbach has uh, fought uh, very, very strongly against any attacks on the FOIA bill. And uh, thus far, we've defeated everything, and that's that's a good thing. Now, where are we with this lawsuit? The what the judge had what has to figure out if it has merit or not sounds like to me with all the information and and uh, truth that you have going for you there's no doubt that it has merit yeah a, mo- a, uh, a motion to dismiss was filed and uh, basically the the facts in alleged in our complainer uh, should be viewed as true uh, and most favorable to Ed's case um, so yeah, we're we're awaiting a decision uh, by uh, by the the judge in, in in our case. So this this so, was so before you ask this, yeah. let me ask you one: who who wanted it dismissed? Uh, Mr. Rogers is represented by the Attorney General's office. So uh, the Arkansas Attorney General's office has filed a uh, motion to dismiss our complaint <laughs> okay so are we to assume that the attorney general leslie rutledge is wanting this dismissed well yeah we're to assume that that uh either her or the folks uh uh working under her uh or or have in fact have filed a motion to dismiss ed's complaint 
Okay, that those people represent her. Whether whether she knows or she doesn't know, it's her responsibility to know. Leslie Rutledge is the Attorney General, and as the Attorney General, the people working in her office make uh, make moves representing her, and if she disagrees with that, she should stand up and say so. So what is their just, so-called just justification for wanting to dismiss it? What What is their... Grounds. What is their what is their what are yeah, their grounds? grounds. Yeah. yeah, they have they've alleged uh, sovereign immunity uh, that oh. you can't oh. you can't sue the state. Uh, oh, so, so but the lawsuit yeah, is not they, against the state specifically, is it? Right. We we've sued we sued uh, Mr. Rogers in his individual capacity. Right. Uh, and uh, you know certainly that's that's our argument. We've sued him in his individual. Uh, capacity, and even if he had uh, so-called quali- qualified immunity from civil liability, uh, that doesn't extend to malicious actions. Um, right, right. And so the, the, there's an argument. Well, there's a very good argument because the Arkansas Constitution comes right out and says it that you know the state of Arkansas cannot be a, a defendant in her own courts. And so there's there's a decent argument there, but it doesn't stop the individual government employees from being defendants in court when they break the law or, or, or engage in criminal activity. Yeah, I think I think the, what the law says is uh, uh, they're not qualified to even qualified immunity from civil liability for uh, malicious acts. Uh, wow. And certainly, I mean, this 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 had, this was intentional uh, and it doesn't have to malicious doesn't have to rise to the level of personal hate, but rather it's, it's an intent and a disposition to do a wrongful act that injures another person. Uh, yeah, this is, this is kind of scary, uh, uh, Mr. McCutcheon, because it sounds like to me that the state can treat you like a dog and kick you and do all kinds of things, and you have no recourse. Well, if you're a dog, you might have more rights, but anyway... <laughs> I'm just True. saying, it right. just it, this is crazy to me. It's a very bad taste in my mouth. Lisa, yeah. very bad taste. Yeah, the dots are pretty close together. I sent her a polite email. She writes on it, this is intimidating and harassing, gives it to a sergeant at arms. Mm-hmm. Two days later, and she tells that sergeant of arms, according she, to his deposition, she, Senator Flowers, okay. according to the sergeant of arms deposition, told him, I don't want Monk contacting me anymore. In any way. In, in any way. Any That's way your senator. Is his testimony. Here, here, and then, two days later, a sergeant of arms goes to three troopers and gives them the false allegation against me. Well, so it's almost, okay, can I say something real quickly here? Yeah. I know there are people out there listening right now saying, you know, I feel really bad for what's happened to this guy, but okay, so that's that's his problem, and I hope he does okay. Why should you care about this, folks? Here's why. Because if it's happening to him, it can, it can happen, happen to, to you. you. Well, and there's also the aspect, it, it's not just that somebody got hurt, it's the fact that you've got government agents running around with pictures of somebody. Covering up. Well, and, and the fact is that, that if it's true that, that you actually had officers down here holding a picture of somebody, watch out for this guy, arrest him if he comes in Not the building. Not just somebody, Ed. Ed, you're right. You're right. Ed. It's somebody in particular, right. Who hasn't done anything Ed. wrong. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, though, so it almost sounds like they were attempting to make a, create a de facto restraining order against you without going through the proper channels. 
Is yeah, it, they is were trying it, to chill my rights to come up here and interact with government and interact with my officials. I've been asked to come up here and testify at committee hearings, mm-hmm. which I've done. I've come up here and been on Dave's show, First Amendment stuff. Right. So that this was obviously, this this doesn't take a, a mental leap here. And here's the scary thing about all of this. It, this sets a precedent. If, if she is allowed, if Senator Flowers is allowed to get by with this, then what's to stop any state representative or any senator from saying to, to Capitol Police and to state police, you know what, this person I is, threatened. I feel threatened by Jan Morgan, when she comes up here, she the way she behaves, the way she acts, the things she says, I feel threatened, and therefore I don't want her up here. I don't want her anywhere around me. I don't want her in the judi- House Judiciary. I don't want her in the Senate Judiciary. I don't want her anywhere in the Capitol. That that's the scary precedent that this sets. And if or the people of this state don't stand any up, any constituent who any constituent works in a government job somewhere, the state police will call your boss like they did me. And try to threaten your job by wrongfully calling your boss. Well, and so, so part, of the, part of the problem here is, you know, if if you or I or anybody else calls the police and says, you know what, I'm scared of my neighbor, and the and the police ask you, well, why are you scared of him? Well, I'm just scared of him, and he's da- he's I think he's going to hurt me. But if you don't actually give any plausible reason why you think he's going to hurt you, they have no reason to go out and do anything to your neighbor, put any kind of a a warrant yep. out for him. If it if they're just stating that they're afraid of you, then that, that is not good reason for the police or any kind of authorities to to, to try to, um, to to search you or or to arrest you or anything of that nature. It's just, you know, somebody's afraid of you. Well, that's that's unfortunate, but it's not a good reason to take action. So are we reaching here, Mr. McCutcheon, or do we have valid reasons to be worried? I think we certainly have valid reasons to be worried when we see this kind of conduct and... Uh, and no one seems to be able to get to the bottom of it. I mean, you've got the most, you know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And when you've got the most powerful people in our state, uh, political powers, who, who will not, for whatever reason, get to the bottom of this, uh, it can happen to somebody else. And, and that's the bottom line. Conduct rewarded, conduct repeated, and you let this go, it'll happen again. And somebody's going to lose their rights. And we've got to protect our rights. We've got to fight for our rights. Or we're not going to have our rights. Okay, so you tell me, what do you think the judge is going to do? I know you don't like to put yourself in the place of a judge, you're a lawyer. But still, do you think that they'll land on the side of the AG, or do you think they land on your side? I don't know. I'll, I'll I'll tell you in about two weeks. (laughs) <laughs> Joey, is there anything we can do? Yeah, that's, people? Is that's anything my any next of us question. Can do? What can we do to help? You know, I think, I think, uh, yeah, contact uh, contact those officials and tell them that that uh, uh, action needs to be taken. Uh, yeah, let let the. Perhaps if Ed would put on his social media page exactly what people need to say, because not everybody's good with words. If If he puts on his social media page, this is what we need you to do. We need you to contact the AG's office. We need you to contact state police. And here's what we want you to say. I think there'll be a lot of people out there that will step up to the plate if you make it a little easier for them in case they don't understand all the the aspects of this issue. Right. Today it appears to be, you know, this appears to be an attack on our Second Amendment rights. And when somebody speaks up about our Second Amendment rights, then they're they're punished, they're penalized, lies are made up about them. But it, it could be, it could be, and, and then and then it, it spills over to First Amendment rights because now, Ed, 
you know, nobody's going to go back up to the Capitol. Uh, Actually, it's the first, second, and fourth amendment. Your state senator, when when a when a uh, what I call a benign letter, uh, very respectful. I mean, extremely respectful. Uh, is is couched as being intimidating and harassing, uh, and it, and it's not a Republican or a Democrat deal here. This is this is about our rights. Yeah, and, it violates your your uh, right it, to due process too. Well, I think the, the right. cover-up, the obvious provable cover-up is what violates my right to due process. Right, so, so is the bigger issue here, it seems like, is is not so much that maybe a senator complained to the guards about Ed Monk being a scary person, but is it, is it maybe more the fact that the, the guards reacted inappropriately by, Both. by, by maybe sort of putting out a, almost like a, putting out a warrant for Ed's arrest if all he came to the Capitol. All of the above. Mm-hmm. All of it. All of it. It's kind yeah. of scary. All yeah. right. Well, we're going to let you go, Mr. McCutcheon. I appreciate your time. I know uh, that's something you don't have a lot of, and you've got other cases, but we do appreciate you coming on and uh, and laying out the facts here. Uh, we'll see if we can't gin up some, some support on our end uh, and... Uh, can the can the AG pull down their uh, re, their request now, or is it in stone? Uh, they're not they're not pulling anything down. In fact, we've been trying to get more depositions set, and we're running up against the stone wall. Uh, so we're we're planning on taking more depositions, uh, and we're going to push forward one way or another. We're going to we're going to push forward, and uh, okay. So. I appreciate uh, you know radio and, and the press are, is so valuable in our republic uh, because you know people need to people need to hear people we need to be, we need transparency in government to, to end on that note. Yeah, I appreciate you so much, uh, Mr. McCutcheon. Like I said, just for my listeners' uh, uh, knowledge, he's been on two or three other times here on the Dave Ellswick Show basically talking about FOIA. He's all about transparency, and and we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Y'all have a good day. Same to you now. Okay, we're going to let him kind of go off and do business that he has to do. We're going to keep Ed here to the top of the uh, the hour, talk to him a little bit more, and maybe see if we can't strategize, get some strategery going here. On the Dave Strategery. That's yeah. a former President Bush. Yes. That's his favorite yeah. word. Strategery and nuclear. nuclear. Yeah, nuclear. nuclear. Yes. And we're going to see if we can't uh, come up with uh, some kind of action uh, to, uh, number one, let the AG's office know what they're doing is absolutely wrong. wrong. Take a break. We'll be back with more. All right. We are back for the last few moments, about nine minutes here, of the Dave Ellswick Show uh, with the power panel, 5 o'clock hour is reserved for the Bible guys. They'll be here. I've already seen them. They're walking around checking out uh, where we can find the Samson to put between some of these pillars <laughs> and pull this place down at times. But, uh-huh. you know, so anyway, just to, if you've been listening to this, let's talk here. What uh, what should we do? You're going to hear behind the scenes now. What should we do to try, you know, we, we, we can't make the judge do anything, but I would think that what we can help do 
is direct the listeners to be able to get involved in this in the easiest way possible. Uh, how do how do how do we uh, how do we uh, how do we do that? Well, you know, a lot of people have contacted me on Facebook and says, Ed, I, I, you know, I hope you clear your name. Well, my name was clear the day after the false allegation. Everybody immediately knew this was a lie. That's not the problem. My reputation's fine. Uh, the problem is who did it and why. That's the problem. Yes. And, I, and we know who did it and why. We can prove it. But the problem is leaders in the Senate, and the state police, Capitol Police are looking us in the face and saying we don't know when we can prove they do know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the only thing I can think of is write the director of the state police, Colonel Bill Bryant, and ask him why did you send Ed Monk a letter saying that the three troopers in the Capitol had no way of knowing the, the, the staff of the, of the Senate Sergeant of Arms when we can prove that one of the Senate Sergeant of Arms uh, was actually a drill instructor for two of those troopers. They knew each right. other very well. Okay. Why did the state police director write a letter to me saying they didn't know any of the staff when it's very provable they did. Why, why did he make that false statement in that letter to me? Here's what the uh, deputy director of the state police told me in a, at the end of a 40-minute meeting that I had with him. All I can promise you is we're going to look into it, and we will find out who initiated the false allegations. We'll get the answers. Now we'll dig into it and find out what happened. We will look into it. We will get to the bottom of it. We will get back in touch with you. I assure you we will find out where it came from, where it was initiated, and it will definitely be addressed. Now we need to find out why it occurred. I have that recording. It's crystal clear in the meeting that I had with him. Lieutenant Colonel uh, Garner never got back with me. After promising, assuring me, and guaranteeing me, he would find out and get back with me. No, when he got up out of the chair and walked away, he forgot about it. And then uh, the governor's law enforcement liaison, Doug Smith, in a recorded phone call with him, he says he talked to Lieutenant Colonel Garner. Lieutenant Colonel Garner told him, the three troopers in the Capitol do not know any of the Sergeant of Arms staff. They have no way of knowing. But we know that's false. Why are the leaders in the state police making false statements? I think that's a legitimate question. Why are you making false statements that can be proven or false? Here's my, my whole thing is if they'll do – and I'm not making – Saying that you're, this is not important, but I am going to say it's not the biggest story in the world that could be happening with state police. But if you're willing to look the other way and not do what is right, what will you do when you know the object is a whole lot bigger? Yeah. Won't so you do the same you thing? Do. That's, we that's, should that's, invite State the, the Colonel Bryant and, and or Garner, we, Lieutenant Colonel White. We should invite them to be on this show and, and with Ed, themselves. and let's let's get this all resolved. And let's I'll, get it all. I'll bring my letter and my recorded audio files. That's paper. That's pay per view. I bet Colonel Bryant is actually in the building right now. Yeah, he's been probably in here. So he has spent a lot of time in this building, standing against our gun rights. He's one of the he's one of the top anti gun rights lobbyists in the state. I mean, the, the governor should fire the man. It's it's insane. But and and I, I my my big issues with him is he's actively lobbying in his official capacity against our gun rights. Right. That's wrong. And 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 maybe that's part of the part of the incentive because Ed Monk is a gun rights advocate. Well, no, the incentive is money. Anytime you have someone in public office doing something that doesn't make sense, follow the money. And that's a money issue. State police make, what, 3 to $4 million a year off the backs of law-abiding citizens. Yep. That, as long as people think they well, have to have a license that, to carry a gun. That may apply to the licensing, but I don't think it applies here. I believe no, the reason the, the director of the state police and the deputy director of the state police and a major in the state police and a captain in the state police and a corporal in the state police 
uh, have all told me something that I can prove is not true is because the person that we're suing uh, is a retired state trooper who was on TV every morning. He's very famous. Everybody knows him. He was the trooper of the year several years back. Uh, well, so, he's the one who used to tell us where the speed zones yeah, are going to yeah, be? Yeah, in the morning. Okay. The, and so that's why when the corporal of the state police who received the false allegations from that sergeant of arms in the recorded phone call tells me it was Alvernon Rogers, pause, do you know who he is? That's the way he told me over the phone. Like, I should know who he was. But So I, the but ethical thing to have done, these guys from the very beginning, if they had just looked into this, they, they should have said from the very beginning, you know what, I see what the deal is here. This is not an, an accurate uh, assessment of who you are. This Senator Flowers accusation is totally false. And so let's just, we made a mistake here. We made a couple of mistakes along the way. We're sorry. And here's what we're going to do exactly. to make sure it doesn't happen again to yep. any other citizen. That would rectify this situation. Exactly. And it would have ended right there. Look, it should we, have, we, and it should have. It, that's, it, called, that's called good leadership. It's, 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 but instead of just having one or two bad apples that was dealt with, mm-hmm. It's a huge spider web of bad apples in the Senate staff, bad apples in the state police, Cover bad apples in the Capitol all, Police. It's always worse yep. than what happened. Yep. A captain in the Capitol Police looked at me and told me in a recorded meeting that there is no way anybody in the Capitol Police would have given the Sergeant of Arms my ACIC photo because that's a crime. Right. But in his deposition, the Sergeant of Arms said he got it from that captain who told me, oh, we, uh, no one in the Capitol Police would have ever done that. This is, it just gets thing uglier is, it never, and it uglier. never would have reached this point. This is, this, to me, this is good leadership. A good leader understands that people are human beings and people will make mistakes. And to just say, you know what, we made a mistake and I am so sorry this happened, but here's what we're going to do. Exactly. We're going to figure out what it is in our process that allowed this mistake to happen to a good law-abiding citizen. And we're going to do this, this, and this to make sure it never happens again. That is leadership. And guess what? Because this happened before uh, Senator uh, Flowers went off and was screaming at everybody and threatening everybody in a meeting. Uh, We're going to put all this together and we're going to sanction her now. And and instead of what you said, which, of course, is what should have happened, here's what Mm -hmm. did happen. Ann Cornwell, the director of the Senate, after I had a meeting with her and that captain from the Capitol Police, she called together a meeting with Alvernon Rogers. Mm-hmm. The sergeant of arms that the cor- the state police corporal told me gave him the false allegation. She didn't have any of the other nine sergeant of arms in the meeting. Okay. Just him. Just him. Corporal Lewis, the corporal who took the false report and reported it up. Captain Aramia, the state police captain that he reported it to and that wrote the memo. Uh, a major in the state police, a captain of the Capitol Police who gave them the photo. Ann Cornwell called a meeting together with those people. Mm-hmm. And that resulted in a letter to me saying that all protocol was followed and there was no intent to put out any false information. Hmm. That's what happened instead of, okay, we had one, two, or three bad apples screw up. Here's how we've dealt with them. Sorry it happened. And that would have ended it had they done it the right way. Well, I can say that I can tell you that the head of the state police won't show up. None of those people will because there is a ongoing lawsuit. That's what I'll be told. But I will call each one of those people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we should. You know, I, you know, I was a lieutenant colonel in the Army. When a lieutenant colonel across the desk looks me in the face and says, and he sounded sincere, Ed, I, I just, I just, I assure you, I promise you, I guarantee you, we will dig into this. We will find out for you and we'll let you know. When a lieutenant colonel, a guy with that title, looked across the desk and said that to me, I honestly believed him. At that well, moment, I honestly believed him. Uh, but then I never heard from him again. Ed, thanks for coming in. Anytime. This gets uglier every time that you're on. Thanks, Jan, for coming here. We appreciate you coming to the Capitol. Same with you, Paul. Yes, sir. Bible guys are coming up. Let's take a break. They'll be next.
And for you who sent me emails saying, are they really trying to find which pillars we should put the new Samson between? No, that's not why they're here. They're here to be on my show today. Bible guys are here today. You know, we don't have a bunch of Philistines in here. No, we do not. I just, I just want you all to know that. They're not a bunch of degenerates, okay? No. Samson's not here to bring the, tem- the temple down, so oh to goodness. speak. Anyway, that, that was what was coming out. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, Scott's here. Congratulations, Granddaddy again. Yes. Now, are you, what are you called? I'm called Saba. Saba. Mm-hmm. Saba is Hebrew for, for grandfather. Oh, for grandfather. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Isn't that also a really great hummus? Of, oh yeah. yeah. See, but I oh, like Saba. I like that. That's Saba. Saba. Yeah. You're right. You're yeah. right. I kind of like that because that's easier for the kid to say. Saba. Saba. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My my latest grandson Eli, who I talk about uh-huh. incessantly, and these guys get sick of me talking about him. I I told you. They said, well, what do you want to be known as? And I said, I want to be granddad, as I always am. Uh-huh. Yep. He calls me Pop. Yeah. Pop. There you go. He calls me Pop. Just yeah, pop. Granddad is a mouthful for, he, a, for Yeah, a little, for a little two-year-old. Yeah, it sure. sure is. So yeah. he's a, he can say it, granddad, but it, he's got to think about it a little bit. Pop is easy. easy. They, call my, they call my wife. They call her Nonna. And okay. my wife is, um, her, her grandparents came over from Italy on the boat. And so there's all kinds of Italian in, in her family. So. So uh, Nona is grandmother in Italian. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So. See, they have just easy ways of saying mm-hmm. it. It's not like five syllables or something. <laughs> you know, it's one syllable. Okay. So here's the first question. Oh, Billy is here too. Billy Miller is here. We've got a question specifically for Billy. I think that's because, a first. At least it, yeah, since I've been. Yeah, here, right? because people know. He knows computers really well, yep. so yep. they figure he knows everything. But we're missing. Uh, he does not work for NSA. I just no. want to make sure. Well, that we know of. Steve, I can either yeah. confirm or deny. Yeah. <laughs> Steve is not here. He is working nights right now oh, at right. the Air Force His Base. Shift, yeah, yeah. But he'll Next be back in a couple, couple of, weeks. of weeks, I think. Yeah. yeah, he's got a couple of weeks of that stuff. So you you cannot go for another grandchild to be born. I'm, just <laughs> I, I'm, you. I'm not planning for one anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> got to be here. And we're here at the Capitol next week. Next as well. week as well. Okay, should be the last, the last week one. that you have to. And after that, we should be back in the studio. In studio. Where it's a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, yeah. As far as that's concerned. Cool. All right. So let's start off. Who or what are the 24 elders? Mentioned in Revelation four four. Wow, well, that's a big, uh, a big question. Um, Billy might know more than I do. We're not really told um, who they are uh, because of the fact that um, um, it just mentions the twenty four elders. I think the best we have is um, is specul- speculation as to who they might be. We do know that Jesus told the twelve disciples. That they would sit on twelve thrones, uh, and so we know we could pretty much suggest that twelve of them are the twelve um, apostles, um, and then the other twelve. I think your your mind, our mind automatically goes to the fact that there were twelve twi- tribes, tribes of uh, Israel. Um, we know the twelve tribes are very significant in uh, the New Jerusalem because we have gates named after all the 12 tribes. I mean, the, the, the tribes of Israel are very much inculcated into the whole structure of the uh, New Jerusalem. So my best guess would be to say that uh, because Jesus did tell the 12 disciples, you'll sit on 12 thrones, I think 12 of those could be given to the disciples of the Lord. And I think probably the other 12 would be uh, the uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. Who exactly would be those? I think we know who the disciples would be on the thrones, but as far as the other 12 
not sure unless they were the um, the actual princes of each uh, each tribe. That's my best guess, yeah. Billy. Yeah, and I think that's probably the most common theory there um, because we just don't there there is nothing that says and here who sit on those thrones. So mm-hmm. uh, it makes sense. But now I will tell you one of the things that uh, is interesting about that. If it is the the twelve princes and the twelve apostles, that leaves out Paul. Mm-hmm. He will not be sitting on the throne. No, like that. no, he won't. Late he w- to the party. Yep. He was definitely not one of what the Bible calls the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Paul would not be included in that. Revelation talks about the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I think the New Jerusalem is built on 12 foundations. Mm-hmm. So very much the whole the whole idea of the 12 um, uh, apostles, the 12 tribes, are very much a part of the uh, the new city. But, yeah, Paul was... Would certainly not have been a part of that. I mean, Barnabas was apostle long before Paul was an apostle. So right. Paul would more likely have been like what, maybe the 14th or 15th apostle, maybe even further on down the line than that. But let's remember, as great as David was, a man after God's mm-hmm. own, own heart, yep. he wasn't allowed to build a temple. That's Bloody right. Hands. He, he certainly wasn't. And so it, uh, I, think that's a, I think that's probably our best guess. I don't know who asked the question, but uh, thank you very much. Good question. All right, Bible guys, this question is for Billy. Okay. Uh-oh. I don't think I'm making it up. See, it says this question is for Billy. <laughs> so it's on you, bro. I have heard a lot of people talking about something or someone called Q. Mm-hmm. So from what I remember, Billy is a cyber tech security guy and one of the best. And oh, I was man. hoping he could tell me what or who is Q and is this a real thing or a scam? Now, I, I know people who have mentioned this to me. Do you, you, have, okay. do you read Q? No, I don't. Well, so that's unfortunately, it's a bit vague. I mean, there is a Q magazine out there, but I think that's a fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a... There's a huge conspiracy group um, referred to as QAnon, uh, and that Uh, a lot of time is um, they have made a series of predictions about um, deep state, and most of that has not come to fruition. Um, They're the ones, um, I I believe, who predicted that Trump was going to issue some 30,000 warrants for high-level politicians and that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, There's also a uh, learning algorithm called QLearning. Um, and there is a predictive algorithm out there that I believe is also called Q that's been around for the last 10 or 12 years maybe uh, that is eerily accurate in its um, ability. And, and what it does is it ingests news feeds from all over the Internet and then produces predictions. Um, and obviously the further out those predictions are, the less accurate it is. But it is scarily accurate at times. So unfortunately... Um, Depending on which of the cues we're talking about here um, really would influence my... If we're talking about QAnon, I, no, I think that's right-wing conspiracy stuff. If you're talking about the algorithm, um, yeah, it has been shown, it has been proven to be remarkably accurate in its ability um, to produce accurate results. So when they say things like, um, when they say to Dave, um, I'm asking this question for myself, uh, when they ask, ask Dave, have you read Q? That would be the QAnon you're talking about. Probably so, because um, they came, um, I want to say they came up through 4chan, maybe? So that that is all text ingestion. So they're, they're literally going out and reading what these uh, predictions were. You know, now that you mentioned that, I remember seeing a, a, a rally for President Trump when he was a candidate, or maybe he was already elected, a picture of the audience. And I remember someone holding up a, a just a big letter yeah. saying yeah. Q on it. Um, would that I'm sure that's the, I'm sure that's QAnon. Anon, right? Uh, yeah, and it's um, again. I, I don't. 
anybody can hide on the internet and produce really crazy whacked out theories um, and unfortunately pick up a whole lot of traction because of how divided this country is right now politically mm-hmm. so um, I don't I don't know a whole lot of th- I checked out some of their stuff way back in the day I read it and went there's no way that you're sealing 30,000 arrest warrants for high level politicians and nobody's leaking that information and just kind of rejected everything else so I haven't I haven't right. followed them at all yeah. alright that sounds like the cue that I've heard of yeah, yeah. alright pastor well, that um, must be that's me. you. You mentioned that this coming Friday is the biblical New Year at church on Sunday. Right. But I've heard rabbis say it's at Rosh Hashanah. Who is correct, you or them? I think Pastor Steve agrees with the rabbis. <laughs> I will be listening. Okay. Can we can we say both? <laughs> we could. We can say both. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad... Uh, uh, hopefully, Pastor Steve is listening. Um, I'm just going to pull up a scripture that I read. Um, okay, um, let me just let me just uh, juxtapose this with uh, what we're used to as being a New Year's. Obviously, everybody listening will know that we celebrate uh, New Year's on uh, December 31st, January 1, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and um, this, uh, you know, and some a lot of churches even have what they call a watch night service where they'll get together and they will pray in the new year. Yes. Or they'll worship in the new year, something to that effect. And they put a lot of prayer and effort on that particular day. Um, but I would say this to, to you, that everything that God has done in the structure of Christianity has happened on a Jewish feast day. So that is, Jesus died at Passover, which is coming up soon. He was buried at unleavened bread. He was raised at first fruits. The Holy Ghost was sent on the day of Pentecost. Every major thing that God has done, he's done on his own calendar. And uh, and God gave us a calendar, and he gave us a new year. And the new year uh, is, and I'll go ahead and start off with this part. The new year is in um, uh, the, uh, the spring. And, for example, it says here, this is in uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse number 1 and 2. It says, The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt. Now, of course, this is right before um, they are going to sacrifice the um, uh, the Passover lamb, which means it's in the month of Nisan, which is the month that we're in now, the uh, month of April, basically. It's March, April, depends on our, how our calendar shifts. This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month. It shall be the first of months of the year for you. So uh, according to this, um, I mean, obviously God is birthing his nation. He tells them this month shall be the first month of the months for you in, in your year. And so um, I see this as being the, the new year. I think it's very clear in the scripture. Uh, the rabbis have come along and have told us that they believe the month of Tishri, which is in basically September time, uh, is supposed to be uh, the actual new year. And so they actually then come up with the idea that there's actually two new years. There is the spiritual new year and the physical or the civil new year. Uh, and they say the civil new year is the turning of the calendar, which is happens in Tishri, at Rosh Hashanah. And the, others, uh, and the spiritual one is in uh, Nisan, which is what we're coming up on right now. Um, the, only, the problem I have with that is, number one, um, Rosh Hashanah, which is, again, it, it means head of the year. Um, to me, okay, let me just back a little bit. It's never mentioned in the Bible. There you go. I was getting ready to ask that question. And yeah. where do we find that yeah. in Scripture? It's never mentioned in the we Bible. We do not. Right. Uh, it appears in the Mishnah, which is uh, which is basically what they call the oral law, and it's a right. It's a 
writings and commentaries on the on the law by the rabbis. It doesn't appear in any literature except the Mishnah, and that's in 200 A.D. That's the first time we see the mention of this word. So it can it comes. It's the Johnny come lately. This right. was written in the beginning. This is 200 years almost after the death of Jesus. To me, and I hope you can hear what I'm about to say here. This to me is one of the examples of what I call Jewish replacement theology. They take something and they create it called Rosh Hashanah, and they actually lay it on top of a biblical holiday called Yom Teruah, which is the Feast of Trumpets. Right. The vast majority of the people only know about Rosh Hashanah. They right. don't know anything about the Feast of Trumpets. And so the Feast of Trumpets gets lost. What it means gets lost in the midst of this celebration of the uh, of the new year. So um, people can accept that there's, there's two year, new years. Obviously, the state of Israel accepts that, and their calendar turns on at Tishri. They follow the, the rabbis in that, in that sense. Uh, but for me, I think it's very clear here that God's intention for the new year was in um, the month of Nisan. And so this Friday is the first. Nisan 1. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is we're having a night of a worshiping communion, just to get your heart right. God's new year is coming in. What's God's going to say? Let's pray and worship in the new year. That's at our church at 7 o'clock, 701 Napa Valley Road, this coming uh, <laughs> Shabbat Eve, Friday night. Does that mean that you're going to have a, uh, what do you call it, a potluck? Uh, no, we're not going to be having that. Food would draw a lot of people, that's for sure. <laughs> and let me just mention, in case someone's thinking, then why do we celebrate um, our new year in January? Yeah. And the reason we do that, we didn't used to. Um, as a matter of fact, the new year typically was in March. Mm-hmm. In the spring. In the spring. It was even in the spring when our nation started. Mm-hmm. Um, but Pope Gregory, um, uh, in the 16th century, um, I forget exactly what year it was, Pope Gregory, he's the one who changed it. And he changed it to January. So it, we celebrate it in January because of a papal dictate, not because the scripture says so. Doggone popes. Now, <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> now, we'll since, since Steve is not here to defend himself, and that All specifically right. addressed Steve, I will say, um, having celebrated with him several years in a row, that, that Steve celebrates uh, Yom Teruah. I, I know this having been there. So now you will often hear us, because we get Rosh Hashanah thrown at us so often, you will often hear us refer to Rosh Hashanah, but... We're not celebrating, if you will, Rosh Hashanah. We're celebrating the biblical holiday, which is on the same day, which is Yom Teruah. So, yeah. and that Steve can blow the show for like oh, nobody's business. Man, he makes me jealous. Do you guys it's a whole fire off fireworks yeah. or jealous. Well, we blow trumpets. Yeah. We blow trumpets. Lots yeah. of trumpets. Yeah. By the way, in the next half hour, when we get to it, have you guys been watching this show on the History Channel called Jesus? No, I have not. I gotta bring some things up to you. Okay. Okay. And cool. It's heresy. It really oh, is it really? Yeah, no. it really is. Not surprising. And it's, and it's oh, we're going to have another heresy it's a, Tuesday. It's a, it's a really uh, uh, Jewish uh, replacement yeah. going on in it. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. They're saying, like, well, we know that this happened because, and I looked at my wife and I said, no, it isn't. Yeah. It's because it was this holiday. <laughs> you know? So I've learned many of the things from you guys. Oh, well, Sorry. Lord. So when we come back... Uh, we have somebody who wants to know the best way to fight off depression. They've been they've been suffering from it. Is there anything in the Bible that would lead us to know how to fight that off? That's coming up next on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about PI Roofing. They now take care of your gutters as well. Nobody likes to cut out, clean out their own gutters. Uh, you get to hum.com. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Bible guys are here and uh, going to ask... This is a question 
uh, from Rachel who says, what is the best way to fight off depression? Hmm. I have battled with this for many years, and I just need a breakthrough. Well, you came to the right place because breakthroughs are Jesus's main forte. Yeah. Well, Rachel, um, I mean, a lot of people, I know a lot of people out there suffer from depression. I think that uh, probably um, antidepressants are one of the top-selling um, prescription drugs because people just don't know how to, um, how to cope. And the best way to deal with this is going to be through the Word of God. And I'm just going to go ahead and give you a verse of Scripture um, that deals with this. And this is a way that I personally deal with uh, if I'm getting down or depressed or uh, bothered or upset. Um, I find this in, um, in the book of Isaiah. And uh, this is going to be in uh, chapter um, 61. And it says in verse number 3, it says, To appoint to them that mourn in Zion. So then we just kind of lift up this one word here, mourn. So he's writing to people who are in mourning, they're in grieving, they're, they're obviously very, very upset. And he says, to give them beauty for ashes. So your, your, your mourning is bringing about ashes, ashes are a result of destruction, things are falling apart around you. But God's desire is to give you beauty for those ashes and the oil of joy for your mourning. So he's telling you, I'm, I'm wanting to trade for you. I want you to trade your mourning for this joy. I'm wanting you to trade your, your ashes for this beauty. I'm wanting to appoint to you who are actually in this place of great um, depression. And then he says this here, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And a spirit of heaviness, I think we could pretty much call that the spirit of depression or this weight on you. And he says here, the garment of praise. And I'll tell you, one of the, one of the best ways to fight off um, depression is to find yourself or put yourself in a place of praise. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about putting on and people who've come to me and asked me for counsel before. I'll tell them, listen, when you get in the get in the car, um, if if you're really fighting depression, what you don't need to do is listen to the news at 12 o'clock. Yep. You need to put on praise. Yep. Let it be in your car when you go home. This is what my my wife and I do this right now. We will leave, not every day, but we will leave praise and worship music on at our house yep. when we're not at home just to get the worship just flooding the, uh, the flooding the place. We walk in to worship the praises of God. We go into all the rooms of the house, hearing it all around the house. We typically, when we build houses, we put speaker systems in every room so we can praise, put praise music all throughout the, uh, out the house. And if, we could, if you could begin to praise and worship God in the midst of your situation, what you'll find happening is you'll find Davidic miracles happening, just like with David um, and, um, and just like with um, Jehoshaphat. It works. It does work. It, work. it, it works. does work. All right, let's break for the news. When we come back, uh, we've got some more questions for you guys here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. As he said, we are in state capitol. Uh, the politicians are in some meetings right now, but most of them have gone home. They'll be back here early in the morning to do the people's business here in the people's house. Uh, the Bible guys are here right now. And always remember, you can send your question to Bible Guys at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R, Dot com. Uh, I, I've got about seven questions that we were going to go through today that we've gotten, and most of them came uh, 
yesterday and today. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, people, people come start up thinking on Monday, about they start mm-hmm. thinking about who the Bible guys are going to be. So, again, it's Bible guys at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R dot com. Or you can call right now, 823-0965, if you have a question. That's 823-0965. Here's your question. Thank you so much for your show. I absolutely love hearing all the wisdom and knowledge that comes from your many discussions. I just like to listen in, but today I wanted to write and ask a question about Israel. What do you think is the significance, if any, of the Golan being recognized by the president as belonging to Israel? Um, Yes, there is significance there. Um, It is perhaps one of the most significant things we've done as a nation in a long time. Uh, Although, I must say that um, it is perhaps not on par with what happened a year and a half ago with declaring um, Jerusalem the eternal capital of Israel. So uh, these two are both significant, uh, but they are also potentially worrisome, um, mostly with the Golan Heights. The Golan Heights, you have to understand, uh, they are literally a high spot sitting right over um, a a very low area. Uh, I believe that area is nearly 1,000 feet below sea level there, right? So you've got a huge height disparity, and you can literally um, shoot rockets, which is what was happening previously, down from the Golan Heights, uh, onto farmers and such that are living there. Um, so that is a, for when we talk about um, the security of Israel, it is a absolute necessity. Now, what happened with declaring that it has been declared to be occupied territory up to this point, and by declaring it to be under the sovereignty, we're really changing its state. Instead of saying, hey, that belongs to someone else, but y'all are, y'all are there and have the power over it, we're now saying this belongs to you, uh, according to us. Now, we're... I guess the biggest bullies in the world right now. So we get to say that sort of thing right now, but um, that is encouraging in that that lines up with the biblical, biblical prescription of who that land belongs to. Yes. Um, so anytime we're lining up with what God has declared, uh, it is significant, uh, particularly with this country and the things we've done over the last couple of decades um, as far as our foreign policy goes. So um, something that should have been done uh, after the 67 war probably, um, but didn't happen just because of what had happened there, but very significant. Now, I'm a little concerned about the timing because of the peace plan that's also coming. Um, We know there's a peace plan coming. If this is a preemptive thing to Mm -hmm. take the Golan and Jerusalem off the table for a land swap, and I really kind of feel like that's the direction it's yeah. heading because of the timing. Um, it, it's concerning. It is concerning to me, too. I, I think it is uh, significant because, as Billy said, it's recognizing land. I mean, the fact whether we recognize it or not, it's it's their land. Right. Uh, but our recognition of it uh, certainly makes uh, puts positions us as a people that are are blessing um, are blessing Israel and. The land belongs to them, and it positions them militarily in a better place, and also I believe it positions us as a nation in a better place. However, as Billy said, if it's just a setup, right, which a lot of people are talking about right now, saying, here's what's going to happen. All this land is being given because Trump is going to turn around now and say, now you're going to have to give up these areas. Right. And if that's the case, then what we do is this is this wonderful advancement we've made. We've turned around and we've shot ourselves. Right. Uh, and uh, so I'm, I'm praying it doesn't happen, but at the end of the day, it feels like all these things are going and we're giving more and more acknowledgement to Israel. 
But this, the flip side is going to be, okay, now it's your turn, Israel, to give up, as if they have not given up enough land already. They've given up 300, or you take the size of Israel right now, Israel used to be three times its current size. Right. They've given away land three, three times their regular size now for the sake of peace, and they've got nothing. Yep. Yeah, they don't have peace. No, no, that's what I'm saying. So no matter how much more land they give, they're going to get nothing in return. Yeah. This is a flawed, failed policy. Yeah, and we have to think about uh, who Trump is and what he is known for, right? He is a dealmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and by, by making these two declarations about Jerusalem and the Golan Heights, if he then comes out with a peace plan and he could sit down with the Palestinians and go, look, the Israelis aren't asking for anything. Because I've already declared the Golan Heights and Jerusalem to be, you know, that's already done. It's off the table. So you can now, you've, you can make a swap without actually having to come to the table and ask for a swap. You can just go, all we're doing is giving up. All we want is peace. We're just, we're going to give you some land and we want peace. Um, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a backhanded trade. Um, and, and I just fear, uh, and here's the reason I fear that. Um, his, his political ties with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, wh- however you feel about them, are strong. If the peace plan was going to be helpful to Netanyahu, it would have been released before the elections. Yep. Um, therefore, I suspect it's not going to be particularly friendly, uh, which is why it's being held until after the elections. So I'm, it's I'm like very April concerned. 9th or something they wanted to. For the elections, yeah. Or right, so it's after that they Correct. wanted to release this peace plan. And I'm very, very concerned what they're going to what they're going to do because if they give away land, they're going to get exactly what they've gotten now, more bombing, more shelling. It's right. not going to uh, it's not going to solve uh, solve anything and it's going to put us in as a nation in a in a worse uh, in a worse position. Well, the word says uh, he who would attempt to divide Israel yep. shall be divided, mm-hmm. right? So we we don't want to be in that business. No. Yeah, you're right about that. No. All so right. uh, I do think it's significant uh, and I I'm, you know, it's a, it could be a two-edged sword. Yeah. yeah. Here you go. Do you feel that messianics and Christians will ever be able to worship together? Let me, I'll just clarify for anyone not knowing. I think you should know this by now, but we always get new listeners. Messianic is, um, and the word Christian, it basically is the same thing, but one's right. a Greek term and one's a Hebrew, Hebrew term. term. Yeah. Yeah. Messianic is uh, the Hebrew term, and Christian is the Greek term. But when you break it down practically, what you basically have is the Messianics are people who will identify with Jesus more from his Hebraic root set. Uh, and often uh, many of them are uh, Jews themselves. Some are Messianic Gentiles who've joined that. Um, Christians would, you are. You would be one of them? I, I would be a Messianic Christian, yes. Billy? Billy certainly is. Absolutely. Although yeah. I, I don't tag myself with the title Gentile. So. No, yeah. Well, okay. well, I say that for clarification <laughs> because the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, it says, You were once Gentiles, Gentiles in the right. flesh. So I'm we, a former Gentile. Yes. Yeah, so we really don't identify with Gentile, but, you know. You know, we, I would just say this non-Jewish as far as um, ethnicity goes. Right. But we, um, but we believe that we've been engrafted into the Commonwealth of Israel. Um, their fathers are our fathers. I mean, even in uh, I was teaching this this past Sunday. Um, we've started this series called Exodus, um, uh, Messiah's in um, the Passover, and there's a verse of scripture in First uh, Corinthians. It actually says that. Um, Speaking of the Corinthians, he says, "I want you guys. I don't want you guys to be ignorant that all our fathers were with oh, Moses, mm-hmm. and uh, and so the Corinth did not exist as a uh, um, a place name until about 800 BC, uh, and um, Moses was in the desert about 1800 BC. There's a thousand years difference, so there were no Corinthians with literal Corinthians literal, with them, yeah. but spiritually speaking." Uh, they're our fathers. That's our history. Those are our people. So all okay. passed through the sea. All yeah, right. all passed all through the mountain. Yeah, all ate the meat and drank the. So can back, they? Will they ever be able to worship together? 
I'll let Billy. Well, just I see how that is. <laughs> Granada. Um, so, to some extent, that's already happening um, with with the uh, worship night effort that yep. uh, is going on here in Central Arkansas. Um, we're doing some of that already. Um, got multiple churches coming together to do a worship night. Um, as far as if you're talking about, and that's a worship night on a uh, the Jewish uh, New Year. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and but if you're talking about setting down in church together on, for starters, we're going to have to talk about whether it's going to be Saturday morning or Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think there's going to continue to be some stress there for some significant period of time. Um, now I, I will fall back on the traditional uh, Jewish statement here, which is Messiah will fix it when he comes. So if we don't ever <laughs> manage to get it right, that's right. If we don't manage to get it right between now and then, Messiah. We'll fix it when it comes, and there's a time coming. Um, if we want to, I don't want to dive too deep into eschatology, but there's a time coming when the, the wheat is going to be separated from the chaff, and the amount of Christians, quote unquote, are going to be pared down dramatically. And when that happens, uh, and, and I'm, when I say Christian, I mean all believers. So I'm talking about messianics there as well. That number is going to be pared down pretty dramatically, and I think we will cling to, to one another more then. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, when it's so easy to be a, a Christian, it's so easy to fight amongst ourselves. It's so easy to get mixed up about, and messed up about the little things. It's pretty hard. Um, you know, right now we're we're fighting over whether it's a yeah or a yeah. Uh, if we're going to fight about silly stuff like that. It's going to be hard to find common ground, and and this is the reason. You know, we we talked about the what's the latest number forty six thousand denominations in the U S. or whatever it is. When it's that easy to just go, hey, I'm going to take my toys and go down the street. Um, yeah, uh, we talk about Christians and Messianics. How about Christians and Christians? Yeah, I mean, fill in yeah. the blank. Yeah. Um, it's pretty rough. All right, you ready for the last part of this? Sure, I think so. All right, why do so many evangelical pastors? Resist the Judaic root that is so obvious in Scripture. And I will second that. Yeah. It's obvious. If it's taught to you, it's like, wow, how did I not see that? Mm -hmm. Well, um, speaking as a a pastor, I think that um, we resist what we don't understand. Uh, We're afraid of what we don't know. And typically, um, anyone who comes along with knowledge that you don't have, your first tendency is to is to put up a defensive shield right. and be defensive against it and look for reasons not to believe it because, after all, I wasn't taught that way, I wasn't raised that way, and if you're right, then what have I done with 25 years of my life? Yep. What yep. have I done with all my teaching? Oh, my goodness, I've written 15 books. All have to be thrown into the trash. I've got you know 90 CD series out there and... Uh, all this stuff is on you. I mean, it, it, it actually hits the, the life of a pastor in a dramatic way. He could see that a lot of what he's taught and a lot of what he's done has been incorrect. It requires a massive amount of humility. I remember yeah. whenever I first learned this, and praise God, I encountered this whenever I was very, very young in the ministry, 21 years old. And uh, um, I heard someone start teaching. I started listening. I went to them. They started teaching me privately in their office sending me home with stacks and stacks of books, and I would read the books that come back. We'd discuss them and mentor me. I owe a lot to this gentleman. And I eventually said to him, I said, and I just started teaching, and, and I said, I don't feel like I ever want to teach anything yeah. again. Yeah. I do. I know nothing. In his wisdom, he said, he said, Scott, teach what you know. Stay away from what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And as you learn more, you teach it. So I was able to go and teach, guess what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There you go. And I was able to preach. Sounds like Paul. (laughs) 
I was able to preach the essence, the core, the nucleus of the gospel, of the good news. And then as I learned more, I in, that story grew and increased from that point uh, forward. But I think personally the resistance is there because the seminaries they went to said nothing about it. Right. Their professors taught them zero on it, and they consequently have taught their people nothing. Right. And now to embrace this new truth means to fundamentally change everything in their ministry. Uh, and I think everything in their followers and their, right. their congregation. Absolutely. And, and I will say two things. Number one, I am starting to see more and more pastors. I, I just encountered a pastor here a couple of weeks ago who took the pulpit wearing a prayer shawl. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was impressed, and I was impressed with what he had to say. He had, he had uh, uh, been to Israel recently, and he came back a changed man. Yeah, um, I'll do that Go to figure. You. I'll um, do that to you. So I am seeing more and more individuals who are beginning to be swayed um, some. Uh, and, and I will also say that we all view the world through our presuppositions, sure right? And if I come to Scripture believing that I already know what it says, and I already know how the story ends, I can make the words fit my presuppositions. Uh, and when we talk about pastors, they were trained by someone who was trained by someone who was trained by someone. And in reality, this divorce goes back 1,700 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, got, we've got generation after generation after generation of having divorced us from the roots of our faith. Um, and when you do that, uh, it's real easy. Most people don't understand, and I think you taught on this recently, that we can really trace all the current seminaries back to a couple of core ideas and a couple of core teachers and they came out with some really bad ideas yeah. when they started that and as a result that has propagated through uh, our ministry chain uh, teaching and training by and large in this country so when you start with uh when you start with bad apples you don't get good cider all right we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back got one more question it's about well this is old school they're going to ask about the Holy Spirit. All right. They didn't say the Holy Ghost, though. No, That's no. been really old school. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about Sonny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. I had uh, a problem with my car the other night. Uh, it, it started missing, and it was misfiring. I didn't know what was going on. I called... Uh, uh, R.D. at Sonny's, and they sent out a tow truck yesterday morning, took it in, checked it out, and it was a catalytic converter. So we're taking it in to, to Joe's garage, and he's going to do the catalytic converter transplant, <laughs> and uh, it'll be working great again. But that's the kind of service you can expect from Sonny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. Call them a 982-7451. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show, and uh, let's get back for our last question. comes from um, a listener says, I have heard a lot of talk about the Jewish roots from listening to your segment on the Dave Ellswick Show, which I enjoy. However, I was wondering what emphasis do you place on the Holy Spirit within the context of the Hebrew roots? I know you guys believe in the Holy Spirit, but is he central to your belief or what? Thanks uh, for taking my question. Well, let me just say, first of all, before these two gentlemen answer that, if you'd been listening last Tuesday, you would have uh, heard a, a pretty long discussion about the Holy Spirit because we were talking about speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit and things of that nature. With that said, let me turn it over to, to Scott. And um, I know you guys believe in the Holy Spirit, but... 
you know, Scott, is he central to your belief or what? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, um, the I've always I've always, always kind of looked at it like this. You know, there was a time period where the father, if I can put it this way, ruled and reigned over the earth. Then there was a time where the Messiah was here and he, he did that. But then when he left, he sent the Holy Spirit. And it's basically the Holy Spirit's um, administration now uh, as he – of course, they're, they're all – one, you know, I'm not. I'm not trying to pull them apart, but as far as the uh, the way things are working now, we have the inward infilling of the uh, of the Holy Spirit, and He is central um, to how we get revelation, to how we pray, to how we're led, uh, what to do. Uh, I mean, He is central to to every aspect of our our life. Our church is very much what many people would, would call a full gospel or a spirit filled uh, congregation. I taught. Uh, a couple of years ago now, I was in a Messianic uh, church, Messianic synagogue, and I was teaching. And I, I basically, I, I, I told them, I said, I asked the question, I said, um, did the disciples know Hebrew roots better than all of us? <laughs> and everybody said yes. I said, did, we, did they know the Hebrew culture, the Hebrew language better than us? And they all said yes. And I said, okay. So they had all these things down pat. They knew them better than we knew them, but they lacked something. And what did they lack? Jesus said, go to Jerusalem until you get the power. You can know all the Hebrew roots you want, but if you lack the fulfilling of the Holy Spirit, then you lack what you need to take the message and to do in the earth what Jesus meant. It's not about what you know. It's who you know and how you follow him. So um, Hebrew roots is great, but without the Holy Ghost, um, it won't do what God wants it to do. Well, your salvation is not even there. You can know who Jesus is. And still not know Jesus. Right. The Holy Spirit has to draw you. There's a lot of people that sit in a church every Sunday Uh that are lost. Sitting in a a garage does not make you a car. Right. Sitting in a church does not make you a Christian. It's a relationship you got to have. And my answer is the same. I I was born in a Pentecostal church. Uh, I I grew up Pentecostal. I still identify as Pentecostal. So, um, yes, I am am Messianic, um, but that is... The, the two are not mutually exclusive. No. Um, and, and I am as Pentecostal as I ever was. How's that? Uh, I believe in running and shouting and getting excited uh, for the Holy Spirit um, because he is uh, He is the one that is here for me now, and he is the down payment on, on what is coming, and he is uh, the expression of God that is here ruling and reigning in, in my life at this time. So absolutely, um, central to my walk, he would have to be. He's as, he's as central as any other expression of God. All right. We're down to about a minute and a half. I've been watching this show on the History Channel called Jesus. Um, I'm going to warn you, if you watch it, there's a lot of erroneous material in it. I would bet out of the like seven or eight scholars that they tend to go to in the show, mm-hmm. only one is a true follower of Jesus wow. Christ. And I'll tell you why. When they talked about Jesus and John the Baptist, they spoke, number one, they said they didn't recognize each other when, <laughs> when Jesus okay. came to the Jordan. Mm-hmm. Number two, they said that it was watching John that Jesus identified what his mission Oof. should be. Okay. And number three, uh, they didn't get any, into any of the stuff that you have gotten into on the show here, Scott, about Jesus' priesthood. Mm-hmm. Right. Did Jesus know from the very beginning 
what his ministry was? You want to say it on the count of three? One, two, three. Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't. They didn't think so. Can yeah. we talk about that name? Sure. We're coming up sure. on you know for Christians Easter. Okay. Yeah. I'd like to talk about this. Absolutely. I also want to remind everybody that next Tuesday night we're showing the Passion at Riverdale Ten, and you want to be there if you've never seen it or if you have seen it and you want to get a hold of of everything ready for Easter. That will help you do it. We'll see you tomorrow, 2 o'clock. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.